and, and many of them were ministers. And, uh, you know, I'm totally convinced that Patrick Henry would have signed. He just wasn't there that day. And that George Washington would have signed. He just wasn't there that day. Isn't that right? You know, Alexander Hamilton would have signed. He just wasn't there that day. I mean, they, they just, the day they signed, some of the guys couldn't get there. Patrick Henry had just stood there a few days before and said, I am no longer a Virginian, sir, but an American. And as for me, I know not what, other, what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And they were pretty stout in what they believed. There wasn't any mealy-mouthed, wishy-washy. They didn't have any woke stuff going on. They didn't have any cancel culture stuff going on. They didn't have any defund the police. They didn't have any, let's don't go to church. You know, and then they got together and penned the most famous, magnificent line in all of history, in all the world, except for the Bible. They said, we pledge to each other. Our fortunes, our lives, and our sacred honor. I don't think the church in America knows anymore what sacred honor is. See, God's an honor God. We honor God. The ministry used to know more about honor than anybody. I'm not sure the church knows a whole lot about it anymore. But it's an honor to do what we do. I honor God. You know, my, my dear friend Creflo Dollar, uh, and I'm not talking bad about Creflo or out of school because he, he put this on television everywhere. You know, everybody knows it. Uh, he said it publicly. He said it publicly for years. He just said it, he said it two or three weeks ago stronger and plainer than he's ever said it before. And so I bet I had, what, Renee, 25 people send me the clip? <laughs> Brother Terry, what about this? What about this? And he, and he, and he recanted uh, what he's always preached about tithing. He said, everything I've preached about tithing is wrong. And he's believed that for a long time because he and I have had meals together and talked about it, and I've told him it was wrong. And uh, so, and again, I'm not talking about his back. He's a great guy. If he's a bad guy, I'd say he's a bad guy. No, he's a good guy. He's wrong about this issue, but he, he, you know, he's a good guy. He's a friend. And like I said, we've had numbers of meals together, numbers of visits together over the years. And I've, I've literally taken him to dinner and to lunch several times about something he was teaching. He said, Creflo, that's just not right. Oh, it certainly is right. I said, no, it's not right. I love you. I'm for you. But that, that, what you taught this morning in that class, I, that wouldn't, that's not Bible. That's not right. And, of course, you know, he's the, he has the right, as I do, to disagree. Are you all here? But when he gets up and recants what he's taught on tithing, that's pretty much his business. But then he said, I've always paid tithes all these years out of fear that God's going to get me. Well, that's not the way it was designed. I've never, I've paid tithes all since I was a kid. Bob's not six years old. I've never paid it out of fear. I paid it out of honor. And he said, I think all of you out there have taught tithing all these years out of fear. And I said, whoa, not me. In fact, you've known me a long time. I, I've, I've never in my life, I've been in ministry 54 years, and I can tell you she's known me 48 of those years. Uh, I, I have never in my life asked anybody to pay their tithe to my ministry. Never. I've never said, send me your tithes. 
Never, never done that. Never done that. And um, <laughs> I believe in tithing. He made the statement, Creflo, he said that it's not in the New Testament. Well, of course, obviously it is. Of course it is. He knows it is. I've told him it is. <laughs> you know, it, there are some things I think, this is Terry Miles' opinion now. This isn't Bible, this is my opinion. There are some things I think that the, the, the people of God were so ingrained in. They never dreamed somebody would stop. So they didn't, they didn't preach it a lot. Some people say, how come they didn't just preach on tithe all the time in the New Testament? I said, well, I think probably Paul and the rest of them never dreamed somebody would be crazy enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not what? Kill? That's not commit adultery. Not, thou shalt not steal. That's having no, no, no false gods before you. They don't hammer on that in the New Testament. Yet it's still there. Right? It's still just as valid today as it was the day God gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai. Yet they, never, they didn't hammer on that stuff in the New Testament. Why? Well, because they knew no idiot had. Hey, I think we'll kill people. <laughs> hey, I think we'll steal now. It's okay if y'all steal now. Jesus came. <laughs> hey, we're in the New Testament. Everybody go steal. How stupid is that? Hey, Jesus came. There's no more law. Hey, go kill everybody. No, we just kill babies today. But you know, you look at the Ten Commandments, they didn't hammer that stuff. Jesus didn't hammer that stuff. Paul didn't hammer that stuff. John didn't hammer that stuff. James didn't hammer that stuff. None. They didn't hammer that stuff. Why? Why didn't they? Well, because who in the world would have thought? They never thought the church would degrade so much that they'd quit doing it. I've got four kids, and they're old by now, but... I haven't nailed, I haven't just talked to them every day for the last 50 years. Say, don't kill anybody, don't kill anybody, don't kill anybody, don't steal, don't steal, don't steal, don't commit. I just told them when they were kids, hey. And I hadn't had to deal with it anymore. You know? I'm not sitting around scared they're going to go kill somebody. Because I know that truth is ingrained in them. Why, why do I have to just hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it? It's ridiculous. You know, Jesus was a tither, and he talks about that. And, of course, they say, oh, no, that doesn't count. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's not, not, not New Testament. That's Old Testament. Okay. But, you know, those guys were all tithers. And then, of course, the one I've always loved and preached on forever whenever I'm teaching on tithing, because I love tithing and, and can't imagine not tithing. But, but is Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 8 where Paul says, here, here on earth, here, we pay tithe to men that die, mortal men. In other words, your pastor's not going to live forever. He's going to die one of these days if Jesus doesn't come first. He's a mortal man. So we come and bring our tithe and give it to a mortal man. Here. Here. And he says, he says, at the same time that we present it to a mortal man that's going to die, here, it says, there, talking about heaven, at the exact same time, simultaneously, when we pay it here, 
to a mortal man, there he receives it. He, Jesus. Now, why does Jesus receive it instead of God? Because Jesus is the high priest. You present the tithe to the high priest. If you go back in, in Leviticus and see how they did it by the law, now tithing was before the law. It's 450 years before the law. Moses paid tithes of Melchizedek. I mean, excuse me, Abraham paid tithes of Melchizedek long before the law ever came along. Out of a heart of love, he said, here, let me, let me. You're the first murderer in the Bible was over tithing. You had two brothers, Cain and Abel, and they both were blessed and had money and had stuff. And then they decided to come give to the Lord. And it says that Abel brought the first fruits, the tithe. And God accepted it. And it says Cain brought an offering. And God didn't accept it. Why is that? Well, because God doesn't want an offering with, unless you pay the tithe first. I've always said, I've always said, tithing's where the children play. Tithing's the sandbox. Tithing, God doesn't even start counting. Angels don't. The, the accounting department in heaven doesn't even start counting until you hit ten point one. Because ten percent doesn't even count. That's that's God's. And when you hit ten point one, then the accounting department in heaven starts going in. And I've had people tell me over the decades and decades about this. And Brother Terry, I, I pay 20% in tithe. Brother Terry, I pay 50% in tithe. Brother Terry, I pay 80% in tithe. Brother Terry, I'm working on paying 90% tithe. I said, well, you, you don't, and you can't, and it won't. They said, what do you mean it won't? I said, well, yes, I do. I said, no, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Brother Terry, I give 50% of my I said, well, you may do that, but you don't tithe 50% of your income. It's impossible because the word tithe means tenth. You can't pay 50 tenth. You can't pay 90% tenth. You can't pay. No, God says, look, see, see, tithing is the great equalizer. See, if you're sitting over here and you're really poor, maybe you're a homeless guy, you're poor, you don't have anything. He is homeless. <laughs> and then you're sitting over here and you're wealthy beyond imagination. Amen to that. She agrees. Well, if God dealt with amounts, it wouldn't be fair. Because he could never, 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 never do what she's doing if we're dealing with amounts. He might scrape together a few dollars and she might pitch in 100,000, you know, million. There's no way he'd ever catch up. They're not equal. But tithing becomes the great equalizer because God said, I want 10% over here and I want 10% over here. It's, you're both equal. You're, one's not greater than the other. 10% is 10%. God's not looking at amounts. He's looking at percent. Jesus did a really rude thing one time. We would think it's very, very rude. Uh, they decided in church they were taking up the tithe and offerings and so Jesus just walked up to the where the bucket was, and he just looking them in the eye, man, when they gave. Hmm. I bet those guys got a little heavier in their giving, seeing Jesus was 
seeing Jesus was watching. By the way, he still is. <laughs> he was watching then, he's watching now. And, he's, and then when they all got through, he did something else we would think is very rude. He said, y'all want to know who gave the most? Wow, that's rude, Jesus. He didn't think so. He said, that little widow woman back there, she gave more than anybody. So those guys got all upset about that. That's not so. I, I gave a bunch. Of, I mean, we, we were giving big money, especially since you stand there looking us in the eye. He, no, 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 no. You, you, gave, you gave a percentage. You gave an amount there was a small percent of what you have. She gave an amount that was 100% of what she had. And I don't do amounts, I do percentage. So she gave more than you. Now she only gave two mice. Worthless. But it was 100%. This guy might have dropped 100 grand. But see, Jesus knows not only what we give, he knows what we keep. Anyway, I'm not teaching on tithe tonight. You'd like it if I did. Because every, every war is fought over who owns what. I know Christians, they just, they just fight you over tithe. They'll fight you over tithe. I've had them tell me, Brother, I will not. You can't make me pay tithe. I will not pay tithe. I'll give God 50% of my income. I'll give God 90% of my But I, you can't make me pay tithe. Just, you just can't handle the fact that God owns it, right? It just ticks you off that God owns it. You want to say, I own it all. And I benevolently and graciously and philanthropically give God some. Instead of saying, God owns it all. God owns it all. They just won't admit that God owns it. They admit, I'm a self-made man, I own it, it's mine, and I'll bless God when I want to. Because they fight in that war. Who owns what? See, see, it's an honor to me to bring my tithes to God. And I pay my tithe and have all my life. I pay my tithe both on my ministry and on my personal. Amen. Whatever I get personally... We pay tithe on. But what my ministry takes in, we pay tithe on. And lots of preachers don't, and lots of preachers don't believe in it. And some of the great leaders of the day, and some of my fathers in the faith even, didn't believe in that. Some of them that you'd know, you got their books and tapes at your house, and I've gone and talked to them and say, why don't you believe in ministries paying tithe? Well, I just don't. I said, well, show me in the Bible. Well, I just don't believe in that. Well, I sure believe in it. The only thing I don't pay, pay tithe on, Dennis, is we have a third, we have a second organization, but a third entity. We have me and Renee personally. But then we have Terry Mize Ministries, which we pay tithe on. But then we have JMICF, or Jackie Mize International Children's Foundation, which is our humanitarian aid foundation. And we have widows and orphans and disaster relief and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, there's a brochure. And uh, we, we have this, this organization. It's a foundation and we get lots of money in this foundation. Y'all help us with this. And, uh, but this, I give 100% of it. 
I never keep a thin dime. I never keep a penny. So I think, well, why would I pay tithes on something I've given 100% of anyway? I mean, there's no, there's, there's no gain. There's no income. So this year, this was just Christmas time. This last Christmas, so I haven't seen you all, all, all year. And so th this last Christmas with JMICF, we gave, we gave to over 40 orphanages in 26 nations. Plus dealt, dug wood, uh, water wells. I love digging water wells. That's life, man. We dug water wells. And I always dig water wells at, at a church. I always try to do it at one of our branded churches. But if I can't, then I'll just put it at the Catholic church or something. I want the people to get it in their head. They're getting life from the church, <laughs> from the house of God. So we, we do that. And we, we um, oh, my goodness, we, we roofed houses for people. We paid hospital bills for widows that their husbands died with COVID. And so we went in and paid the hospital bills for them. And, I mean, foreign countries, you know. And uh, uh, missionaries in the Amazon, we put roofs on houses for them, insulated houses. We, uh, we bought several vans, vehicles, for orphans and orphanages that need that. But, you know, that's 100%. You know Guy Sperduto. You know Guy. Guy's my CPA, and he goes to Words of Life in Miami. And so I was preaching it in, Words of, in February. We had a conference at Words of Life, and I'm speaking. Kenneth Copeland's speaking. Jerry, Jerry Savelle's speaking. Jesse DeBlanis is speaking. Bill Winston's speaking. I'm sure I left somebody else. Sammy Rodriguez is speaking. Raging Wilson's speaking. Anyway, we're all having this great conference. And, uh, and so I got up, because they partnered with me, and they helped me with this. I got up and gave a report because well, this had just happened Christmas and we had just had it printed in February and just got it and so I'm giving the report. And I'm saying, here's what we did and this is just, this is what you helped us do and, and, and every dime you gave, every dime, every dime, every dime went to this. We don't keep one penny for expenses. Now the government allows us to keep money for an, an organ, a foundation just like, just like Red Cross and Salvation Army and all of them. You can keep, I think it's like 40%. I'd have to check the law, but it's a big amount. They let you keep like 40% so you can hire secretaries and you can, you can run the administration and you got your telephones, your computers, and you got mail outs and that all costs money. So they allow you to keep a percentage of that uh, legally of what you take in. But I determined when we did JMICF, I determined we don't keep a dime. We're just not going to do it. We're allowed to. We're, it's legal for us to. We're not going to. We're going to take Terry Mize Ministries over here, my ministry, and we're going to pay the expenses of this out of the ministry. So if you give a dime, it goes. If you give $100,000, it goes. If you give a million, it goes. Whatever you give, it it all goes. And I was just kind of saying that to the church over there in Miami. You know, guys, Perduto, you stood right up at the church. And he said, he's, and I forgot he was even there. And he said, uh, he said, folks, I'm Terry's CPA. I know that's true. He said, I have the figures. I have the, I have the accounting sheets. He said, they don't spend one penny uh, out of JMICF on, on, the, on the administration that he pays all that out of his ministry. And I thought, hey, man, you got your CPA vouching for you. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty good deal. Then since this was just a Christmas report, and these are back there on the table, y'all can have them. They're, it's not a fundraiser. Not one place in here is going to ask you to give one dime. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's just a report. Here's what we did this last Christmas. And you might enjoy just hanging it up in your house or on your refrigerator. And look, what, look what we helped do. And uh, um, but as soon as it got over, then here comes the Ukraine thing. So since then, we've, we've, done, we've bought vehicles. We've, uh, oh, my goodness. And in the last two years, during the pandemic, with JMICF, Christmas time only, the last two years we've done almost a quarter of a million dollars. In a pandemic, you know. I mean, it's just amazing what God's done. That's what you guys have done. You had a quarter of a million dollars, and now you're down. Yeah, partners. 
And now you're down to what, $20,000? 20,000 and what? Wow. Two ninety. Wow. Let him a check for two hundred ninety dollars, so we can just get down to two thousand. I mean twenty thousand. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But isn't that amazing that in the pandemic? And how did they do that? How did we do that? We did it with this. I carry this in my Bible all over the world and have for decades. Now, once in a while, I switch the packages out. Dennis has seen it a gazillion times overseas. Uh, once in a while, I have to get a new package because the one I'm carrying gets a hole in it <laughs> and it leaks out. But right now, here those, they're still in there. This is a sad little seed package because these seeds aren't fulfilling their purpose. They have one purpose, one purpose only. There is no other purpose. They have one purpose. And that's to grow, to produce, to bring forth fruit. Right? And these don't get to because I carry them around. Because I tell people all the time, I, I, I did a whole thing in California, Renee, didn't I, with a bunch of children. I called a whole bunch. They had children. They left in. They didn't send them back to children's church. They wanted them to hear me. And I had all the kids come and just stand here. I think it was like 29 kids or something. And I just taught them a seminar. I said, I, I can teach an entire seminar on prosperity from this. This will tell you everything you need to know about prosperity. If you don't plant, you don't harvest. If you don't sow, you don't reap. Amen. And I said, you know, we can take a tomato and we can sit out here on this, plat on this pulpit like this, big old beautiful juicy red tomato, and we can just sit there and I can go and just squish it. And then I can gather up all those seeds. And I can count them. I said, you can count the seeds in a tomato. But you cannot count the tomatoes in a seed. They're abundant. They're a right? No farmer, no farmer, no farmer, no farmer ever wakes up in the morning and says to his wife, honey, I'm going to go reap the North 40 today. I'm going to go harvest the North 40. And she says, well, you never planted the North 40. Yeah, but I intended to. Doesn't matter. God doesn't bless good intentions. You don't plant, you don't reap. You don't sow, you don't harvest. You don't give, you don't receive. You don't deposit, you don't withdraw. You try that at the bank, they'll put you in jail. It's all based on the law of God that God, whenever they came out of the ark in Genesis chapter 8, God gave them four immutable laws, four laws that can never, ever, ever change. They're incapable of change. They can't change. And he said, now, as long as time remains, as long as time remains, there will be law one, seed, time, and harvest. I've always said it like this. There will be seed, then there will be time, and then there will be harvest. Right? Of course, if you, if you keep planting enough, there's no, then, there's, then there's no gap. There, there's an overlap. The Bible says you just cast your bread on the water and it just comes right back to you. My friend Janie Grind, church doesn't know who she is anymore, breaks my heart. I talk about Janie, they say, who? I said, you know Janie Grind, who? I said, you know Janie, who? You know bread on the water? No. You know covenant woman? No. You know 
More than conquerors? No. You know the missionary song? No. It's amazing what the church doesn't know anymore. Those used to be the standard word of faith songs in, all, in Brother Hagin's meetings, Brother Copeland's meetings, everywhere, everywhere across America. But anyway, you know, she wrote that. She wrote a song and said, it'll come back on every wave. Keep on casting your bread on the water, and it'll come back on every wave. We'll come back on every wave if you keep casting it out there. Because right. they're laws. So he said, law one, there'll be seed time and harvest. Law two, there'll be night and day. Law three, there'll be heat and cold. Law four, there'll be summer and winter. And they're not anything you can do about that. It's a, it, they're they're un, incapable of change laws. Most of y'all remember back in, in June of two, 2004, I had a 29-year-old son that got killed in a car wreck. And, uh, and so, of course, I went home, and my wife begged me not to go preach for a while, and so I stayed home. And, and then his little wife, you know, my daughter and all begged me not to go, and so I stayed home. And, and every morning I'd get up really early before daybreak. And our house, the backyard, faced the east. And so I'd go outside every morning, every morning, every morning. Every, I mean, I think it's only like three months those women wouldn't let me leave. I said, you have got to let me leave and go preach and go help people. You know, but I mean, I just, I'd go out there every morning for three months. And I'd have my cup of coffee, and I'd have my Bible. And I'd sit there and read, and, and the sun would begin to come up. Every day. It never missed a day. And I'd sit there and read my Bible, and I'd sit there and make a cup of coffee, and I'd look at it those first few weeks. I'd look at the sun, and I'd say, how dare you? How dare you? How could you come up? Don't you know my heart is broken? Don't you know I feel like my life is ruined? Those three babies don't have a daddy. How could you possibly come up? But see, it's a law. It didn't care. God didn't care. It's a law. And then he'd get up a little bit, and here comes some bird starts singing in the tree, and I say, what's wrong with you? How dare you? How can you sing? Because those are their laws. They're absolute laws. doesn't matter what I think. doesn't matter what I, I don't get a vote. I don't get an opinion. I make churches so mad all the time, Bill, by telling them they don't get a vote, and they don't get an opinion. Brother Terry, No. Yeah, but no. Yeah, but I know. God doesn't care what you think. Yeah, but yeah, I'm his favorite. Yes, he doesn't. No. No, he doesn't care. But I know you don't get a vote. You don't get an opinion. If God wanted you to have an opinion, he'd give it to you. He did. It's called the Bible. He said, think like this. Think like me. Think like God. Act like God. Talk like God. Isn't that right? Let not this book of the law depart from out of your mouth. Thou shalt meditate or think. Meditate therein day and night, Joshua 1.8. And thou mayest observe to do, be a doer, be, uh, to do according to all, long as we're in the Bible, all that's written therein, that's written herein, and then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. It's just a law. I don't get an opinion. I don't get a vote. I don't know how many times in 54 years of ministry I've argued with God about something, and I have never won one. <laughs> not once, not ever, has he ever given a rip what I think. He does not care. He says, soldier up, buddy. Stand at attention, son. Yes, sir. And I do. You know, I've been, I've been married twice, and I've been in, I'm a veteran in the military, so I can follow orders. 
But it, it, isn't this neat? And I took all those little kids and I taught them a whole seminar on. Because every year when my kids were little and every year when my grandkids were little, I'd, I'd take them outside in the garden. I'd say, hey, guys, we're going we're gonna to plant some tomatoes. The reason I use tomatoes is because all the countries I go to, people know what they are. It's obvious when I hold that up, they say, oh, it's tomato. Now, I could hold up okra. And what? <laughs> what is that? But, but tomatoes is recognized the, the world around. They were invented in Peru. I bet you didn't know that. First time I ever went to Peru, they said, Brother Terry, tomatoes and potatoes came from Peru. I said, I didn't know that. They said, in fact, here in Peru, we have 2,600 species of potatoes. I said, I could live here. But I never met a potato I didn't like. But isn't that amazing? And after I got through with that all, I gave, I gave each one of them, what, a $10 bill or a $20 bill? So I just went down the line, 29 kids. I said, here, I mean, you know. And uh, when I hear Nid stand up or pastor stand up and say, and say we, we, we went from quarter of a million to 20,290. You written that check yet? Yeah, yeah. She wrote it. Oh, she wrote it? Okay. So 20,000. Then, then it, it, to me, it's exciting to do that in the pandemic, to do JMICF in the pandemic. And Christians just say, here, we believe in this. Because we live that way. They live that way. We've talked, men, we've talked so many years about, about money and finances and giving and, and sowing and planting and, and, and tithing and you know, we know it works. We know it works. And to watch you guys do it and talk about it, you know, it's like, hey, that's my team. My team's doing that. See, old Roberts wrote back in 1969 when I was 19 years old, he wrote this book called The Miracle of Seed Faith. And I was in the Army, and I was making lots of money before I went in the Army, and then I got drafted and wouldn't make any money. The Army was paying me 150 Twenty-eight dollars a month. When I was used to spending that a day and more, <laughs> you know, and uh, I just thought, man, we're in trouble. I've always been a tither all my life. Always been a giver all my life. But 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 in church they taught me, and my mama taught me, and my pastor taught me, and my church taught me. Terry, you need to tithe, but don't you dare expect anything back from God. Oh no, no, I wouldn't do that. No, I won't put any pressure on God. Bless his heart. Poor old God. <laughs> they drilled that into me. So, I mean, when the bucket came around, I gave my tithe and I gave my offerings, but I didn't dare ask God to bless it. Isn't that weird? And then Orr wrote this little book called The Miracle of Seed Faith. If you don't have it, I'd recommend you write and get it. I think they still give it free from the ministry. We just write Orr Roberts, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oral's been gone for a long time, but Richard still run the ministry. And uh, in that book, he said, Oral said, there's three keys. Now, later, I became very good, close friends with Oral, and so we talked about this a lot. I mean, we talked about it a lot. You can imagine, Oral, he'll talk to you about money. And uh, so we'd, we'd, we'd spend a lot of time. And uh, he said, you know, there's three keys to doing anything with God. And he said, number one, realize God's your source. 
realize God is your source. He owns everything. That's the, he said that's the hardest thing for Christians to ever get, get in their head. He said the air you breathe belongs to God. The blood in your veins belongs to God. He said your heart belongs to God. Your liver belongs to God. You, you know, your wife belongs to God. Your kids belong to God. Everything belongs to God. Your car belongs to God. You may be making payments on it to somebody else, but God, it's God's car. It came out of the materials in God's earth. Your house was built out of the materials in God's earth. They had to get God's stuff to make your house. You know, one day a bunch of scientists came to God and they said, uh, they said, hey, God, we've been talking, had a few seminars here, and we've decided we don't need you anymore. We used to need you for throughout the history. We've needed you, but we don't anymore. We're smart enough. We're advanced enough. We're technological enough. We don't need you anymore. So you're dismissed. And God said, okay. He said, you don't need me? He said, well, prove you don't need me. And they said, well, what do you want us to do? We can do anything you can do. He said, well, I made man. Can you do that? And they said, sure. We can do that. We can, we can, clone, a, we can clone a man. We can do it with brown eyes, with black eyes, with blue eyes. We can do it with brown hair, blonde hair. We, we, can, we can clone him in. We can, we can make him look any way we want to. And God said, well, then let's have a contest. And, it, and let's just see if you need me or not. I said, sure. And he said, okay, so we'll have a contest. He said, you got three days. And he said, we'll, uh, you can make a man. And I'll make a man. And we'll see who wins. And they said, great. And so they started writing down things they were going to need, you know. And so they uh, wrote down dirt. And God said, wait, you got to use your own dirt. <laughs> Amen. Man's just not near as smart as he thinks he is. When they come on up here and greet the people, I don't, I'm just kind of rambling. I guess they figured that out by now. I got a good word for you, a good sermon. But uh, I got stuck on that. When you, this morning I thought about that when you got up and told that. And then I thought about it all day, and then, then you got and took the offering tonight, same thing. And I thought, man, what a – Bob and Ned and I have talked about money and tithing and giving. I mean, for decades. I mean, years ago there was a, there was a bad hurricane in uh, Cuba. You know, and so I said, man, I've got to take them some stuff. They're, they're hurting. They need some stuff. And I told Bob and Ned, and boy, they jumped all over it. Ned was, got the ladies together, and I tell you, they started. And I told them, I said, they, I said, you know what they really need? They need, remember this? I said, they need toothpaste. I said, because a, a, a tube of toothpaste this big in Cuba costs $8, eight American dollars. I tell you, Ned was then hitting the big lots, and she's bringing me tubes of toothpaste this, this, this big. And it's just give, 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 give. I mean, we loaded that stuff up and took it over to Miami and then put it on a cargo ship. I mean, I mean, you know. And so it's always, the Christians are always the one that run to give. Yeah. Run to give, run to give, run to give. But if you don't watch out, that same Christian will start fussing with God about, yeah, but you don't, you, you don't want me to prosper. You don't want to bless. Well, you're quick to give. Why wouldn't you think I'd want to bless you? Isn't that right? And uh, it's just like that deal with Creflo and tithing. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm honored to pay tithes. I'm it's my choice. Right. That's right. Nobody's making me do it. <laughs> and after old Roberts told me, he said, number one, realize God's your source. He said, number two, give first. Yeah. 
you have first, you know, no farmer goes to the field and, and harvests without having planning. Right. Nobody goes to the bank and, and withdraws without having deposited. Nobody, nobody receives without giving. And he said, so you give first. And he said, number three, you expect a miracle. Yes. And he said, expect it from unexpected sources. That's he says, quit it. looking to the source you're always looking to, like your job. Your job is fine, but that's not your source. You're working for that money. Start looking from unexpected sources. Where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? There's a dog. Has he got my money? Where, where's a, where? And you start expecting. And I tell you, it changed my life, Bob. I'd given and tithed all my life, but I'd never asked God to bless it. And all of a sudden, I started praying. He said, never give an offering. Oral said, never give an offering you don't pray over. No, that's right. So really, and I, I mean, every time, you know, this morning when we gave, we prayed over it. A while ago when we gave, we prayed over it. We, we don't give an offering without praying over it and saying, Lord, we're planting this seed, this good seed in good soil. This is good soil here in this church. And we're planting it here. And we're expecting everything you said in the Bible to come to pass. I just think it's so neat. We talk about this all the time. I just think it's so neat that Jesus and God thought this stuff up. That's right. No preacher did. No. no preacher thought, well, what's a gimmick I can take offerings up with? <laughs> oh, that's right. God thought that up. Yes, he did. God called it a seed. That's right. I don't think preachers ever called money seeds until Oral Roberts did it. Yeah. Now everybody and their dog does it. You know, and they'll, and they'll, some of them are crooks and some of them are cheats and some, but they'll still use that. But Oral said, you need to see your tithe not as a debt you owe, but as a seed you sow. And you need to operate in those laws of God that there's seed time and harvest. And so God way over here in the Old Testament. <laughs> Personal joke. Well, another thing that you and I talk about a lot is... Uh, Why did you do that? Is that, <laughs> is that most, so much of the Bible is dealing with agriculture. Oh, absolutely. The farming concept. And why p pastors and leadership waited so long till Oral Roberts came along to really focus on the fact that money should be seen as a seed, just like everything else in the Bible, from childbirth to life uh, to investments, everything dealing with money is a seed, just like it is in the Bible that there in Genesis 8, that seed and harvest, summer and winter, hot and cold, Amen. that all those things were immutable laws as long as the earth remained. And so it's so important for Christians to be, to me, it looks like, you know, like we've talked about that Christians are the, you ought to be the first one on the block, <laughs> you know, to be sowing seed. Absolutely. And, and not just money, but you can do that in good deeds. You can do that in treating somebody kind. Uh, we take people out to eat. We buy them food. We do stuff. Yeah. You know, and say, Lord, we, we just, we're just blessing these folks and we know it's going to come back on every wave. Right. That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it to help people. See, right. your motive should always be love. Right. That's that's the bottom line. Your motive. Now, some people. preachers really mess this up. They they, they they convince you your motive is to get more. No, 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 no. no. That's not the point. Mm -mm. That's not the point. Even though that's why a farmer plants. So it's confusing sometimes. No well, farmer plants for fun. He plants for profit. Well, and that's that's part of being smart enough to rightly divide the word of truth. 
we don't just get one scripture and go act on it. We take the whole counsel of God and we begin to break that. It's like putting a puzzle together. Well, one scripture says that money is filthy lucre. <laughs> Another scripture says that we tithe is, the tithe is holy. <laughs> so, you know, how do you, well, you rightly divide that. You, you gain understanding from that, that if money alone by itself in the hands of the wrong person can be filthy lucre, it'll do evil things. It'll be spent on, on righteous living like the prodigal son did. And money is just a tool. It's just, it should be seen in the hands of a believer, like you said, just as a tool. So as the church, we should have the finer, more intelligent, purer handling of money than the world should. Isn't that right? That's why God wants to bless you, yeah. is that it, once your heart is right and you know you're giving from a heart of love and that you see money as a resource to expand the kingdom, to help those that can't help themselves, to speak up like you teach, have taught all these years, Proverbs, Proverbs 31. 31, to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. The children in this, in this generation, the, the children alone are being so abused and trafficked and molested, and we are the ones that can stand in the gap. Yes. Money talks. And we can do things that will that will rescue the perishing. They have an old song, "Rescue the perishing, care for the dying." Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. See, we're the ones that can go out, be His hands extended, and rescue them, and build every anything we need to to take care of them, Absolutely. love on them, Absolutely. you know, and stop the hand of hell. To, de to kill, yes. steal, and destroy. Yes, absolutely. That's what money does, <laughs> you yes, know? Yes, absolutely. You know, we're not just out there uh, trying to get, uh, you know, and it, as the Bible says, there's another verse to, you know, um, what is it? Uh, take things and just mount them up on our own lust. Mm -hmm. You know, do mm -hmm. that. that. That's not what <coughs> we that's do. That's what the rich fool did. Yeah, he, he just, you know, built, you know, you have so much money, you he just said, go build a bigger I've got so much barn. money, what am I going to do? You know? Oh, I know, this is what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just tear down these barns and build greater. Bigger barns, yeah. you know. And he said, and I will say to my, 11 times, Bob, he uses yeah. the word I, my, or mine in that paragraph. 11 times. This is what I will do. Right. So he had, I always said he had severe eye trouble. <laughs> and I'll build greater, and then I'll store all my goods and then I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast many goods laid up for many years, so eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, you fool. God said, you're a fool. You missed the whole point. This isn't about you hoarding and storing up. It's about you helping people. And he said, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Well. Question, and whose will those things be that thou hast provided? Who's going to get you goods? Well, the ungodly relatives will get it. They've been waiting for you to die for a while. You know, they'll, they'll rush in no, and get they'll it. They'll just step over your dead body and take everything <coughs> that you've got, you know. So we've got, to, we've got to understand that we're here to help people. Right. And when Jesus himself, I just think it's so cool. I tell him that all the time. I tell you that all the time. I said, Jesus didn't have to say that, but he looked at us. He looked at the boys and he said, hey, give. And it'll be given you again. 
Good, y'all don't get scared. I'm not taking up an offering. I just am so excited about your your church mortgage. You know, no 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 fear here. Uh, Jesus said, "Give, and it'll be given you again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over." And Jesus said this. No no preacher thought this up. Running over the same measure that you meet with all will be measured you again. Men will be compelled to give to your bosom. I mean, poor people will be compelled, rich people will be compelled, men will be compelled, women will be compelled, sinners will be compelled, Christians will be compelled. That's we pray all the time. Father, everywhere we stop, people are compelled to give to it. We stop at a gas station. We stop at a, at a hamburger joint. We stop, they're compelled. You know, Bob, I've always told my kids and, and, and my grandkids that my pockets grow money. Yes. And they all say that. They say, Papa, Everybody pocket, say po- that. My pockets grow money. And the kids will say, Papa's pockets grow money. And Lynn, who's now 50, you know Lynn quite well, and some of the rest of you do too. Uh, Lynn goes with me on all these mission trips all his life. And, and I just give him the money. I say, son, you keep the money and keep account of what I spent. As soon as they made the very first PDAs, you know, the old what, blackberries and all that other, even stuff, even before that, then he would keep a running thing of, of what I gave. And, uh, and I said, just keep, keep an account, keep an account, keep an account, keep what I give, keep, keep the tips. You know, because Renee says, Terry doesn't give tips, he gives offerings. And so we want to bless people. And so every day, I, at the beginning of the day in our hotel room, I'd get up, he'd come over to my room, and, 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 and I'd say, here, let me give you this money. Uh, and he'd say, where'd you get any money? You gave me all your money yesterday. Yeah, but my pockets grow money. I got more. <laughs> and, and so I'd give it to him. Next day, he'd come over to my room. Hey, Lynn, before we leave, I'm going to give you this money. Dad, where'd you get any money? You don't have any money. Yes, I do. My pockets grow money. And so I've just always said my pockets grow money. People are compelled to come up and hand me money. Right. You know, and uh, that's been going on for a long time. Sure. And, and my grandkids, you know, remember how Jackson used to come to ICFL meetings and stuff? And, and he said, Papa's, pocket, Papa's pockets grow money. You know, and I remember one day we were sitting around a breakfast table at one of the conventions, and Ned said, let's give Jackson some money. And she grabbed like a bread roll basket, you know, and dumped the bread. I said, everybody gives Jackson some money. And I think it was $50, $60, a little kid this big, you know. Whoa, my pockets grow money, Papa. <laughs> well, it's good to teach them that. But they know I'm quick to give. I said, now, you can't just keep it. you got to give it. You know, you gotta, you got you to keep emptying it out so it can grow some more. But anyway, I'd take the kids out every year, and I'd say, now, hey, we're going we're gonna to plant this garden. And then I'd go through this whole deal, probably boring, but, I mean, I'd go through this whole point and say, say now, look, when we plant this, we're going to dig the soil, we're going to do this, we're going to plant, and we're going to water. I'd say, now, we're going to come out tomorrow and look, and there's not going to be anything there. And we're going to come out the next day, and there's nothing there. And the next day, there's nothing there. And the next day, we're going to keep watering it because we know what the law of God says. God said. And so day after day after day after day, there's not going to be anything there. But I said, one day we're going to walk out here and there's going to be a little teeny, teeny green thing sticking up out of the dirt. And I said, then it'll grow and then it'll grow and it'll grow. I said, at some point it's going to get up like this. And I said, you know what it's going to do? It's going to grow a yellow flower. Talking about tomatoes. It's going to grow a yellow flower. And behind that yellow flower, if you look, there'll be a teensy, teensy, teensy little green ball. That's the tomato. And then day after day, it's going to get bigger, and the flower is going to grow, and the, the ball is going to get bigger, and then pretty soon the ball is going to, it's green, then it's going to turn orange, then it's going to, I mean yellow, then it's going to turn orange, then pretty soon it's going to be red, and then we're going to pull it and eat it. And you're going to hype this thing up and build it up, and of course there's nothing there, nothing there, and then one day they blow in the house, Papa, Dad, 
there's green. You know, and then after a while, there's a yellow flower. And then, hey, it's turning orange. It's turning yellow. It, you know, because that's just, I said, it's the law of God. It has to work. God himself said it would work. I agree. I'm just listening. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I like I like the word of God, and I like preachers that tell the truth. <laughs> yes. I like preachers that tell the truth too. I do too. It's absolutely wonderful. But then Jesus went on to say, I couldn't imagine He said this. He said, "By the way, Mark 10:29 30, whatever you give mm. for my sake, right, Jesus' sake, and the gospel, right." You'll get it back a hundredfold now in this life, in eternal life, in the life to come. Isn't that shocking? You know the church doesn't believe that, Ned. Preachers don't believe that. I've had so many preachers come and tell me over the years scriptures in the Bible they don't believe. Ah, one of the greatest soul winning scriptures in the whole Bible, though, we're in Ezekiel 317. God says, God says, prophesy to them, son of man. When you see the heathen, he says the wicked, when you see the wicked in their wicked way and the heathen in their heathenish way, and you don't go warn them to turn from their wicked way, they'll die in their sins. And their blood I'll require at your hands. He said, but if you see them in their wicked way and you go tell them and warn them, they don't listen and die in their sins anyway. He said, you, at least you've delivered your soul. One of the greatest men of God on the planet, one of my favorite fathers told me, I don't believe that, Terry. I said, well, what's wrong with you? I mean, I said it respectful because he's my father. And I said, how can you not believe that? It's, let me read it to you again. He said, no, I've read it. I just don't believe it's talking about soul winning. I said, well, of course it's talking about soul winning. What else does God care about? He said, if you see the sinner and his sinner away and you don't go tell him he's going to die in his sins, but his blood I'll require at your hand. He said, if you do go tell him and he doesn't listen to you and he dies in his sins anyway, you've delivered your soul. How do you not believe that? Is that it? Yeah. Look at that. When I say the wicked, you should surely die and you give him no one. Oh, that's a weird translation, isn't it? You know, Jesus and Paul use King James. And I use King James. Anybody that knows me knows I use King James. Renee, on the other hand, thinks the Amplified is... But the Amplified is the women's Bible. It's got so many words. So many. If I use the Amplified, my four hour, my two-hour sermons be four hours long. When I say to the wicked, "Thou shalt surely die," and I give him not warning nor speaks to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he doesn't listen, he turns not from his wickedness or from his wicked way. He'll die in his sin or his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Now, doesn't that say what it says? And this great father of mine said, I just don't believe that. Well. <laughs> mm. But Jesus said, whatever you give for my sake, Mark 10, 29, 30. Jesus said, whatever you give for my sake, whatever you leave for my sake and the gospel's sake, you'll receive now in this life a hundredfold. That's 10,000%. And eternal life in the life to come. Mark 10, 29 and 30. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Now, I have, I have great fathers who don't believe that. One of the greatest that I talk about every day. I went, one day we was having dinner, and I said, Dad, why don't you believe in the 104 return? 
I said, you don't believe in the hundredfold return. I know that. I've heard you say it. Why? It's right there in red. Don't say black and white. No, it's red. Jesus said it. And he said, well, Terry, I just don't believe it. I said, no, that's not good enough for me. I said, I, I love you. You're my father. I learned from you, but I need a, I need a reason. Because Jesus said this, and you said this, and they don't agree. And he said, well, I don't believe it because it's never worked in my life. And I said, so what? You're not the example. I mean, with all due respect, I was kind to him, respectful. I said, with all due respect, you're, you're not the example. He said, well, I've kept meticulous records. It's just never worked for me, so I don't believe it. I said, so if you had cancer and you died of cancer, you wouldn't believe a healing? You wouldn't, tell, you wouldn't go tell somebody they could be healed because it didn't work for you? I said, you know, I'm, I'm confused about it, sir. I said, I, said, I, I said, maybe you've kept bad records. Because I've seen people hand you million-dollar offerings. I've seen people give you airplanes. I've seen people give you buses. I've seen people buy you buildings. I've seen people give you all kind of stuff. Sure, it's 100 volt. And I said, and I got one more question for you. I said, uh, you're not dead yet. It says now in this life. I said, it's not over. You're still here. So it's still working. But he just never did believe it. But see, I can't help it, Bob. As much as I love him, as much as I respect him, as much as I honor him, I can't go against what Jesus said. So I have to go back and tell Jesus all the time, hey, I really believe that. You said it. No, you didn't have to say that. Nobody twisted your arm. Nobody held a gun to your head to say that. You, you said it because you wanted to, because you loved us. And you said, there's no man's left house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my sake and the gospel's sake. See, I told the Lord all these years, I said, look, everything I've done has been for your sake. I, I, I left America for your sake. I moved to, went to Panama for your sake. I moved to Mexico for your sake. I've been all over the world preaching the gospel for your sake. Bob and Did and I have been in Thailand time and time preaching the gospel for his sake. We didn't go for us. If we was going for us, we'd have gone to Hawaii. <laughs> we went for Jesus' sake and the gospel's sake. And it helped those preachers. Remember that time we had the 1,300 type pastors that we taught them the word of faith all week long and they left there like, you know, 10 feet tall? He said, you hadn't, for my sake and the gospels, but you'll receive a hundredfold now. Now, now, now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands. Notice he didn't say wives. You don't get a hundredfold wives. That'd be a mess. <laughs> With persecutions, the persecutions will come. God starts blessing you financially. Your relatives and other folks aren't going to like it. Persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Wow. Jesus said that, Renee. He didn't have to say that. Why did he put that up there for? Wow. And then preachers don't believe it. Well, the, the, the thing that catches my attention every time I read that is that even if people fail to even obey God to bless you in some way, you know heaven's not going to mess up their accounting. Heaven's going to do their job. So in the life to come, and that is the new heaven, the new earth, uh, there will be a hundredfold return. Isn't that amazing? There will be a hundredfold return in the life to come. 
uh, whether people mess it up down he here. He says, or not, though, it's now. God's he home. says, now in this time. In this life. Now in this time. Right. And then, then you get eternal life. Right. In the world to come. And in the world to come. So, you know, the, the thing to me is that the, the, the playing field has been broadened with that scripture for God to be able to bless you. And so your faith, your part, everybody's saying my part. My part. My part is to reach out by faith and take that and begin to believe God that that's coming for me. Amen? Well, and I mean, the thing is, we've got to figure out what we're doing wrong. Right. Because if that was just, if that was just cut and dried like it is, right. that means I'd walk in church tonight, walk up to the usher, hand him a dollar, he'd hand me a hundred back, and I'd leave. <laughs> well, obviously, that's not no, that's how right. that works. That's right. So we got to figure out, all right, Jesus said this. Right. Now, we need to figure out how to make it work. Instead of saying, instead of saying it's not true... Right. I'm going to have to. Yeah, what are you Go doing? Ahead. Go ahead. We, we need to remember that faith never, everybody say, everybody say faith never, <laughs> makes sense. It's never made sense. It will never make sense. Oh, I'm in trouble now. No, I just want when, to. When God told Noah to build an ark, he guy's 500 years old. Yeah. And he told him to build an ark. That didn't make sense. And he built it for a hundred years. Wow. His neighbors got up every morning and went to work. Noah's out there in the driveway building this boat. <laughs> hey, Noah, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. You still building that boat? Yeah, I'm still building it. hundred years. That's a tough job for a guy 500 years old. And uh, why are you building it, Noah? Well, I told you it's going to rain. What's rain, Noah? I don't know. <laughs> Never has rained before. Right. And then when he got those animals... Bill, how do you think he got those animals? Do you think he got a net and went and caught him a rhinoceros? Of course not. He said, in the name of, well, Jesus wasn't there. But he said, God said, get in the boat. So he spoke it. He had that same dominion that God gave Adam over the animals. So he said, hippopotamus, giraffe, elephant, get in the boat. And they obeyed him. They had to obey him. He didn't go catch them. But then, but then the men, the men didn't have to obey him. And Moses was, a, and Noah was a better animal getter and a better boat builder than he was a preacher because he preached for 100 years and got zero converts. <laughs> I hate that. As a preacher, I hate that. I hate making an altar call and getting nobody. He got nobody. Nobody in 100 years of preaching. He told those boys, get your wives and get in the boat. So those three guys got their three wives and they got in the boat and he told mama to get in the boat and she got in the boat and then he got in the boat and there's eight of them in the boat and God shut the door. And then faith never did make any sense and then it thundered. Wow. And then it rained. So and don't you know that those girls' mothers and fathers yeah. and sisters and brothers, don't you know they ran to that boat? And beat on the door until their knuckles were bloody and scraped on the girl. It's your mama, let me in. It's your grandma, let me in. It's your best friend, let me in. The Bible says God shut the door, and no man could open it. And that day's coming again. And the church needs to realize it's coming again, and we're not playing church. And um, they couldn't do anything about it, Renee, except sing that same old sad song that they have sang for 
some sang some. That they've been singing. <laughs> for for centuries and centuries. And I, I can't sing it in agony of voice like they do because I don't feel like they feel because I'm born again. I'm redeemed. But they all they can do is that same old song in, in Jeremiah 8:20, the summer is past, the harvest is ended, and we're not saved. That's all they could do. The summer's past. The harvest is ended, and we're not saved. And they all died. And that day's coming again. That day's coming again, and the door's going to close. And, and no, nobody can do anything about it. Well, that's why we've got to work while it's day. For the night's coming when no man can work. No man can work. And that's why what you do right now is so valuable and important. Your, your value in the kingdom of God as a last days Christian is so high <laughs> oh, yeah. to get the work of God done. Every prayer you pray, every time you obey the Holy Ghost, every offering you give, every time you show up. Uh, my first husband and I pastored all those years, and Dean would always say, if you don't show up, nothing else matters. You know, And that's really part of it is that you showed up tonight. You came. You heard the word of God. The quality of your ability to hear, it makes a difference in how you're going to act your faith. You know, right. when you go home, when you, when you hear and you understand and then you go act in faith, heaven puts a high value on that. Absolutely. In obedience to what you've heard. And then as you pray prayers by the Holy Ghost to begin to, or you make a demand on what your faith has heard, and you start using your faith saying, I call in the abundance of offerings of my obedience to God. I call in from the north, south, east, and west everything that I've sown into the kingdom of God by action, by prayer, by obedience, by offerings, by giving of my strength and my time to build the church, to serve food, to do whatever I've done. Whatever I've done, <laughs> heaven's keeping record. Just Absolutely. like Malachi chapter 3 says, every time you even talk about the Lord, every time you even have a conversation about him, in Malachi chapter 3, the, the, where we get even our some tithing scriptures, says that every time you talk about his name, they record it in heaven. And it says, when the sword goes through the land, will not the Lord remember it and deliver you as a father would his son? I mean, heaven's accounting system has got to be something out of this world. If you think computerized accounting and banking is phenomenal, you ought to see what heaven can do. You know, I told heaven when I was just a teenager, I said, I'm going to keep one accounting department in heaven busy. Yes. That's just right. keeping, oh, yeah. keeping, figuring out what I've given and what I'm supposed to be receiving. Right. Yeah. And then another thing Terry has said that has been so helpful to us in our church there pastoring all those years is that many times you know the blessing of God by the curses you've missed. That's right. And so That's think exactly about that. Right. Many times. So many Christians say, well, God didn't bless me. Yeah, but look at what you've missed in disasters and sorrow in your life. How so many if, car wrecks have you missed? How yeah. Many, how many, How many times has the Lord you delivered missed? you? I mean, look at this. Start paying attention to what you do like you want heaven to pay attention to what you do so that you give your life value. 
your life is so important. What you're doing in this last days, you need to stand before God as a righteous man or woman washed in the blood of Jesus and say, I believe your word. And I'm not going to back down on this. I will not live in lack. I will not live in poverty. You've seen my checkbook. You know where I started from. You know where I am now. And Father, I'm in covenant with you by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will bring back to me what the enemy has tried to steal, what I've lost maybe in disobedience and lack of faith and worry and fear have stolen from me, I stand today as a repentant child of God that you will restore it back to me in abundance. No matter whatever, the clock or the calendar is not going to intimidate me about my age <laughs> or where I've been or what I've done. I'm laying hold to it for the sake of souls, for the harvest, for the kingdom of God. You need me my health and my money and my prayers to get the work of God done here in these last days. Isn't that right? That's the value of the Christian, the value of the local church. That Your book on the corporate anointing has blessed me so much. She tells much. everybody been, across the nation about that book. I have told every pastor, I'm going to buy a bunch of them from you and I'm have my office mail them out because you've got to understand that God intends for us as the people of God to do some big things and leave here in a flash. <laughs> I mean, just start calling me flash because we're going to do some big things before we leave this planet and we're going to take a harvest of souls with us out of here and they won't know what hit them. I mean, they're not going to know what hit them because we did our job. We, Bob put some big signs around the church. Put them up at home. It says, just do your job. Just do your job. I don't expect a whole lot of out of anybody except just do your job. Just do your job. Do your job. Do your job. That's all you've got to do. And my job is to show up. Do my job. Be effective and faithful in it. And then I'm going to leave this planet. You know, and that's what Terry and I talk about. I mean, we preach to each other all the time. You know, and it's just a constant all day long. Just, well, the word says this and the word says that. And I, wa I wanted to, I came up here with one scripture to give you. And the longer he talks, I've got 29. But I wanted, when, when, when Terry. Out, out of the Amplified. <laughs> I wanted to read this to you about tithing because to me, oh shoot, here we go. Uh, tithing it's an honor to tithe. Yes, it is. Because I go into business with God. Think about that. Psalm 107 says, These are they that go down in ships to do business for the Lord. So when I go, when I do business, it's always meant a lot to Dean and I when we were living in Corpus Christi by the water, you know, that, that God wants to be co-laborers with us. He wants to partner with us. He's a partner with us in the kingdom of God. And if you want the blessing of God on your money, go into partnership with him. Make the investment. And that's what tithing has been to me. It's a, if, if, there, if I get a clue anywhere in the word of God that God wants me to do something, whether it's guard my mouth or my eyes or treat somebody right or give my money or pray this prayer, if I think there's any, any opportunity for me to do that and please him, I mean, if there's just a ray of hope, would God want me to do that? Yes, I think he'd want me to. Well, I start doing that. Or I stop doing something else. I stop doing that, something that doesn't look like it's pleased. When it, if it even gave a shadow of doubt, shadow of, of, 
of, of hope in my heart that if I started if, if I just started tithing, that God would get involved with my money, man, I'd be the first one on the block to want to write out my check and say, here's 10%. Let's, let's go for it. And, you know, we don't, we don't have a dog in this hunt. We don't want anybody to pay us their tithe. Yeah. We're saying this because we do it, and we it do. works, and we and like it, it. And they oh. do it, and it works, and they like it. I'm just trying to say, hey, y'all get on the bandwagon. Y'all get on the merry-go-round. All through the pandemic, we did not lack in any way for preaching engagements and open doors because we kept tithing and giving, and we gave outrageously, and we gave sacrificially, and we sowed seed, and God opened doors, and he opened hearts, and that's how we stayed busy, and we have put nearly 100,000 miles on our truck going around the country in two and a half years to preach the gospel, and we have been overrun with opportunity to go and preach the word of God. We did not sit idly. We acted our faith. We gave and we gave and we gave. And we saw God do supernatural things. And we gave almost a quarter of a million dollars to other people. And that that's just through JMICF. That doesn't count what the ministry did, what he and I did personally. And all the things that we saw God do. We're just, I mean, our, our bank account can go down to very very scary low <laughs> i mean and we've got I'm we've got full-time employees we've got we've got six we've got th six uh employees three part-time three full-time we've we've got uh you know our own personal expenses of home and 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 you know everything that we're doing and then we've got a host of uh, 16 grandchildren <laughs> and i've got three codependent relatives that terry has graciously taken on two in the nursing home my mother's 94 all of these things that people that we're looking for and taking care of and looking after and god has been faithful we're standing here in front of you tonight to say you need to work this you need to put your faith out there you need to do it because God has done for us as a traveling ministry what God says he'll do for the pastoral ministry and what you've done. Because it's no fun if you just build a bomb shelter for one. <laughs> you want to build a bomb shelter for the world. It, you know, it's no fun if, if all the boats in the lake don't come up at the same time. Isn't that right? If there's, if there's a water shortage, you don't just want, want, want one boat over here sitting in a puddle you know, all up on the water. You want all the boats in the lake to come up. And that's, God is big enough to answer the, there's, uh, we saw the figures last week that it, there, we're right at 8 billion people on the planet. And the gospel is to whosoever will. If all 8 billion of them stood up today and said, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, then every promise in this book, heaven's got enough resources <coughs> and even on this planet to make sure that every person gets what they need. But this scripture that I have tried to keep up and I kept going back because I'm using Terry's phone tonight. Um, I wanted to read this scripture to you here. That's King um, James. I know, darling. Here it is. <laughs> it's First Chronicles 28. 914 and these are some of the uh, King James is great uh, thank you you're so gracious <laughs> we have we have just literally first Chronicles 2914 this is so amazing they're taking up an offering in Israel to build the temple and this is what they did uh, Solomon said but who am David. I huh David David yeah. I'm sorry but who am I and what is my people? that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. He says, God's my source. God what we've given you, it actually belongs to you. 
Yes, uh, I mean, to me, that is, that's humility. That, that I'm, like Terry said, every battle is fought over who owns what. It's not mine. It belongs to God, all of it. Brother Wayne Myers, after all these years, he's going to be 100 next month. All these years in Mexico, all nearly 80 years in Mexico, taught these Mexican pastors that didn't have anything, living in dirt floor, on dirt floors, how to tithe. And they, now they've built these great churches, debt-free, sent their kids to university. It's a couple of them, even in Europe, have gone to uh, you know, college over there. I mean, all of these things that God can take you from the guttermost to the uttermost and help you grow and, and see things happen. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. I don't know what the clock or the calendar is going to be like, but I know it will begin to change, you know. And the devil will fight you over it because he's a thief. He's a liar. He'll try to do everything he can to intimidate you and to stop you. But that's why you have to toughen up. You have to be the, the woman of God. You've got the armor of God. You've got the word of God. You've got the people of God. You've got prayer. You've got authority. I mean, God's trying to help you fight the battle to take what belongs to you. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Yes, I took back what he stole from me. I went and took back what he stole from me. Well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me because he's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Yeah, under my feet. The enemy is under my feet. Da, 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 ba, da, ba, ba, ba. That's a good vacuum cleaner song. That's a good song you can clean house with. You can mow the grass with. And just remind hell that you're in charge, not the decimal point. That decimal point does not, that decimal point does not control you what's on either side of it. It's what you say out of your mouth. Well, you know, I, I know I need to quit, but I, what, did you, what did you want me to do? But I just wanted to. <laughs> you can go, you can go do covenant woman. Uh, yeah, maybe tomorrow night we'll do that. Look here. Uh, uh, Terry said you, you had to work this out. Philippians chapter 2 says, work out your own salvation, you know, with fear and trembling. That's in verse 12. But he says here, therefore, my dear ones, he said, while I'm absent, work out and carry out to the goal. This is amplified. Fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe. I love this. And trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. And then he so graciously says, now don't try to do it in your own strength. He said, the Lord is so gracious. Don't try to do it in your own strength. He said, for it is God who is all the while at work in you, both to will and to do Amen. his good pleasure. Amen. The Lord will help you even fight the battle that you determined to fight. Yes. He'll help you stand in the gap. I'm telling you, you can't have enough props at home. You can't have enough. Lay your checkbook out, your bills out, keep them out there. Uh, get get a, 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 a picture of where you work, where your kids go to school your family, all the, I mean, set up shop, set up shop to be in charge, to pray, to take authority, go out, march around your children's grandchildren's school, go out there and take authority, anoint the doorpost of, of your office. People don't, you don't have to, you know, light candles and blow trumpets. You just walk by the door and slap some oil on it and say, devil, you ain't coming in here. 
I'm in charge. You get on the airplane, you just have a little oil on your hand and just put it on that thing. Said this, this is not going down. This, this is going to the other side. These people are so blessed they don't even know it when I get on here. You know, I mean, they're just there's. A, it's a constant, continual fellowship with God by faith that what he said is the truth. Amen. Amen. What he said is the truth. And that everything that comes like these seeds, I'm telling you, when God told us we could plant a seed and it would grow and it would bring in a harvest, not just one seed, but a bunch of stuff come with it. Y'all, I mean, that's got to get down on the inside of the church that if we're going to get a, give account of every idle word, if we're going to give an account of every unprofitable, unfruitful word, then you know heaven's counting. <laughs> they're keeping track of stuff. If they're numbering the very hairs of your head, then you know they're giving an account. Galatians 6, God is not mocked. He considers that if you don't believe him, you're mocking him. That whatever you sow, you will reap. God is not, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man, a woman soweth, that shall he reap. And that's good news. That's good news if you're sowing good stuff. That's good news. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Darling, this sweet lady. <laughs> that's good news. Everybody say, that's good news. That's good news. You sow. Here men receive tithes. But in heaven, I'm telling you, heaven sees it. Heaven sees it. Don't back down. Don't let hell intimidate you. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't have a pity party. Well, I'm just on a fixed income and I don't have any money and I can't do that. You know, I mean, I just, I will it's not probably, grow probably old. Probably the most being a, dangerous thing you can say is I'm on a fixed income. Yeah. I just, I just. Don't lock I am, yourself into no way out. That's such a dangerous thing to say. We have to, I talk to my mother all the time about it. You know, everything. She's 94 on social security. And she goes to church and we say, pay your tithes. You won't, we're going to believe God. We're not backing off on this thing, you know. And I just refuse to grow old being a victim. I just am not going to grow old feeling sorry for myself. And it'll sneak up on you. It'll try to make you feel that way. And you just have, you can get out of bed with your head hang down, hung down. You can just, I mean, Terry and I have driven across the United States to get here. And, and we got in the other morning up in Savannah, Georgia, 2 o'clock in the morning in that hotel. And I could feel my body just talking to me, you know, just saying, what in the Sam Hill are you doing this at your age, you know? And I was just saying, and I said, no way. I mean, I went to the enemy's camp, you know? I mean, the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken my mortal body. Shall all, everybody shout, shall also slap yourself. Say, you shall be quickened. You're not going to be weak. You're not going to be defeated. You're not a victim. You're strong in the Lord. You're going to live a long life and see good days. I mean, dance around. I see you dancing around your house, shouting, yelling. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. And if husbands and wives can get an agreement on that and you can stand in the gap of, of intercession for one another to call in what belonged to his family, what belonged to your family, start calling in because those resources are still in the earth. Are you... Is that what you wanted me to say? 
We wanted to tell you about our products out there, but y'all, we've been here so many years, y'all know stuff is out there. But we did do something new this year. We did some t-shirts with some of Terry's sayings on it. And that t-shirt that we have of, I know the Lord is good and I know his word is truth, that is a tremendous soul winning tool. And then Terry's always said, I'm just so glad God still uses available mud. I love the mud t-shirt, you know. But it, you're standing in line at the grocery store and somebody reads your t-shirt, start up a conversation. It's just another tool. It's just another tool. But I wanted to tell him he has not heard this, and we found out we did this last week, that uh, we had ordered hundreds of t-shirts back in the early part of the year, and we have sold out. And we have ordered another order of them. And people are just getting so many good testimonies and reports in the churches that have bought them. One whole church bought them for all their uh, um, song leaders on the platform. We walked in. Worship team. Worship team. And we walked in, and there was the whole worship team wearing, I know the Lord is good, and I know his word is true. And it was just, it, you know, we're just using everything we can. Video, audio, you know, print, T-shirts. And we're trying to get the gospel everywhere that we can to help people and, and strengthen the church to do our job so that you don't lack resources and tools to get your job done. Amen? God bless you. Is that your offering? No, you knocked it off. How did I knock it off? Praise the Lord. Yeah, I told Renee I wasn't going to touch that T-shirt stuff. She wanted to make T-shirts, and I said, you know, Jesus may walk in the church and kick the money changers' tables over. I'm not going to mess with that. So, so she's been the T-shirt lady, and, and it's working. God, People like it. People like it. Real quickly, let me just tell you how faith works. Can I do that? Not, not a sermon. I want to keep you. But uh, I do want to tell you how faith works. I've, I've done this a long time, and I, figured, I don't know it all, but I figured out a few things. And uh, I'll just give you two or three scriptures you can just write down and meditate on and, and, and think about. And, and, uh, and, and you do know, I've told you this before, you do know we have, our, we have a YouTube program called Terry Mize Ministries. If you go to YouTube and just do Terry Mize Ministries, and if you'll subscribe there, it, it helps us. It's free for you. It didn't cost you anything. Uh, if you don't know how to do that, get a grandchild to help you. They'll fix it. <laughs> but just, just if you'll subscribe to, to our Terry Mize Ministries, it it makes YouTube think we're important. We know we're important, but it makes them happy. And uh, then if you do the bell icon, the little picture of the bell, they really like that for some reason. So, uh, and we've been doing spiritual authority for weeks now. I think we're on, I think we're on part 19 of spiritual authority. Um, this week, but our producer took a break because he liked what I preached at Nancy Dufresne's camp meeting. So, well, he, he took it and showed part of, part of it. That was a two-hour sermon, so he didn't show it all in our... You know, so I've been preaching long lately. Of course, I used to always preach long, and then the church got to where they didn't like it, and then I got to where I didn't care. <laughs> and do you know that, do you know, I've, I've always talked about it, churches have a, what I call a mental release, like they mentally turn off. Like when it's time for them to think it's time to go, you'll hear purses zip and Bibles zip, and you'll hear things being gathered up, and and, and I call that surface noise or mental release. And, and you think, well, I might as well quit. They're, they're done. They're not listening anymore. And I tell you, the last several months of the church that we've been in, there's been not a Bible cover zip, not a – I'm so proud of the church. They had not had a purse zip. Nobody's got up. Nobody's left. Nobody's done – I mean, it's been – they've just been hungry and drawing and pulling.
Oh yeah, well, we just had a church Sunday in, in Iowa, and even the cameraman behind the camera, he'd, he'd just hold his hand up and say, you know, come on, do it some more, do it some more, and, and the people were saying, come on. And we just just had a great time. They brought four little boys back to see us, and in the, in the, they fed us at the back of the church like you guys did today. And, uh, and so they brought this, this husband, wife, and four little boys because they said, hey, they've read Jackie's book, Supernatural Childbirth, and uh, they had four four kids. Yeah, that's that. They had they had four little boys reading Jackie's book. Two of them are twins. They're six year old twins, and then a, then like a four year old and like an eighteen month old. And they were all dressed in the same shirt. And we call those Jackie's babies. You know, we never get tired of the testimonies. We somebody talk, came and told me today they had three babies with Jackie's book, and we call them just Jackie's babies. And so they said, hey, we've got some of Jackie's babies we want to show you. And so we said, we well, sure bring them back here. We never get tired of that. And so they brought them back, cute little guys, all dressed just alike. And we were already sit, sitting at the table to eat. And so they, they brought uh, them back to, to meet us. And, and uh, um, Renee brought one of the boys, one of the twins, over to her. And she said, you just look so good today and so sharp in your shirt. And, uh, and I'm just so glad to meet you. And he looked at her just deadpan. And he said, it's been four hours. <laughs> No expression, it's been four hours. Well, I didn't go four hours, but church started at 10, and by the time they got back there, it was two, so it's been four hours. But if I gave him and his little brothers all $20 a piece, it made them feel better. So um, I, preached at a, I preached at a church in South Africa a few years back, and at a, a pastor's dead now where I was, but I've known him a long time. And a uh, good guy, and uh, he's part of an organization over there that used to be known for faith. They're not known for faith anymore. They had a, they actually, uh, uh, the head guy of their organization had a falling out with Brother Hagen years ago, and and so whenever they did, he just turned his back on faith. Uh, and he used to be the faith <laughs> place in South Africa, and 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 so they went, they turned off of faith and turned off of uh, Brother Hagen and turned off of. Uh, word of faith, and they, they, they became a seeker-sensitive, friendly church. And, um, uh, and, and they've got about 20,000 people. I mean, it's the place to go to church in, jo- in Johannesburg. And that's where the movie stars go and the politicians go and all that. And, but they win souls. I'm for soul winning. And uh, so uh, anyway, so I was preaching at one of their churches, and the pastor there uh, had known me a long time. And I used to go over there in the early 80s and preach at the, at the main church and in the Bible school, teach faith, you know. But anyway, I was teaching, I was preaching for him, and I told some testimony. He talked about raising the dead and some other testimonies like that. And we went out to lunch afterwards, and at lunch, he said to me, I think I had my oldest son with me, Lynn, and he said to me, he said, he said, Brother Terry, he said, that was a great sermon, and the people loved it, and it was so good. But he said, you know, it's been a long, long time since I've had anything like that preached in my pulpit. I said, like what? And he said, well, you know, where, where, where my faith would make any difference in my outcome. I said, say, say that again. He said, well, it's been a long time since I've had anything preached in my pulpit that would show that my faith could have something to do with my outcome. And I said, well, it's your pulpit. What's wrong with you? And he said, well, I'm not allowed to preach what I want to. I have to preach what they tell me you know, to preach. He said, we're not allowed to preach that. And I said, well, you're kidding. What about the Bible school? The big, big Bible school I preached at, the main faith 
And he said, oh, no. He said, once they had that falling out with Brother Hagin, he said, that all changed. He said, there's no faith preached. He said, in fact, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a preacher, a pastor, anywhere in the nation of South Africa that knows anything about faith. And I said, well, then I think I need to come over here and do a pastor's conference. And he said, well, that'd be great. If you'd do that, that'd be wonderful. But anyway, it just bothered me to hear that, that, that they, they, they would turn from that. And so I thought, well, you know, let me, let me just tell you how faith works, okay? Because faith is pretty simple. And uh, uh, let me give you a couple, a couple of scriptures uh, and, and, and not, not, get, not get off on a rabbit trail and do something else. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, you know this. You don't have to turn there. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a place to show himself strong. Heaven is watching all the time. Heaven is constantly, 24-7, watching the ends of the earth to see if there's some place they need to show up and show God strong. Right? They, they can't stop watching. They have to keep watching just in case one of you guys says something, does something in line with the word, because then they have to show up. And see, for the most part, angels are over underworked and overpaid. Angels don't have anything to do because the, the church doesn't know how to use them or put them to work. Now, Hebrews 1 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent by God, sent to minister for, not to, but for, those that are heirs of salvation. Well, that's you. You're the heir of salvation. So the, the angel's job is to go minister for you. God has sent them to minister for you. We all know when you're born and you get assigned some angels, well, you still got them. It's just that once you got big, it's like, oh, you kind of think it's a fairy tale, you know, and they're not really there. But you still have those angels, but they're, they're watching you all the time, listening to you all the time, to see what their guy, what their girl is going to say or do that would require action out of them because they don't know what to do until they hear you say something in line with the Word, not just say something off the wall like my team's going to win the Super Bowl, but I mean say something from the Word. And if you do something based on the Word, like you're a tither, I'm paying my tithe, Lord, then they say, hey, it's, we, we, I get to move on my guy's behalf, you know. Um, and uh, so they're always watching and always listening. If any of y'all have watched our YouTube program that comes on every Thursday, a new one every Thursday, the intro starts off with that. They took it out of a sermon I preached, and it says, all of heaven is watching the earth all the time to see if a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, anywhere is going to say something, they'll do something based on the word, and if so, heaven moves. And that's how you get heaven to move, is you say something and do something for no other reason except that the Word says it, except God said it. And they're watching that. And, and, and they're, not, they're, not, uh, they're not just random helpers. They have to be specific. So they don't do stuff that you can do. They do stuff you can't do. They don't do the natural. They do the supernatural. So, so pastor stands up and preaches a good message on angels in church, and you hear it, and you go home and say, that's really cool. That's great. Angels are my servants. So you go get in bed, and you snap your finger and say, bring me some coffee in bed, angels. They don't do it. No. Go, go mow the grass, angels. They don't do it. Go, go, go change the oil in the car. They don't do it. Go wash the laundry. They don't do it. And then you come back and say, pastor, that stuff doesn't work. You don't know what you're talking about. No, 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 no. They don't do natural things. But they are ministering spirits, and they are sent to minister for you 
but they have to stay in the confines of the Word of God. So they're watching all the time, you know, and they're, they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm, my, my, I, I'm watching my, my girl today. She hasn't done anything yet, but I'm believing for the days over. She's going to say some stuff. Well, I'm, how about you? Oh, well, my guy, I've been watching him. He's been snapping all day. But, but you know, I, I, I'm believing he's going to do something. So I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm listening. And they're just constantly watching and constantly listening to see what they're supposed to do because they don't know what to do until they have something out of your mouth or your actions that shows them it's in line with the Word of God that they can move on. Isn't that simple? Doesn't that make sense? So the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, just looking for a place to show himself strong. Ever since I've been a teenager, I've said, Lord, look no further. <laughs> if you're looking for a place to show yourself strong, look no just right here, here I am. Just look no further. This is it. And then Jeremiah 1.12, we all know that scripture, says, says that God watches over his word or hastens his word to perform it. So heaven's always watching, always watching, always watching to see if you're going to say something based on the word so they can perform it. Isn't that simple? And they're tuning out all the nonsense you say. You know, you're praying that you're, you know, that you're going to get to do a picnic today, and you're praying that your your team wins the ball game, and you're praying that, you know, you know, whatever. And they're just not even listening. They're, not, they're just they're just tuning it out, listening. They're filtered to see if what you say is the word, or see if what you do is the word. And then they say, okay, I got to go. And they're pulling for you. And then and then Isaiah fifty-seven nineteen, God says, I create. The fruit of the lips. So, so God's a creator, and you're his children, so you're a creator. Because you are what your daddy is. If your father's an elephant, you're an elephant. Your father's a giraffe, you're a giraffe. Your father's a zebra, you're a zebra. You, you are whatever your father is. Well, your father is a creator. So you're a creator. But he creates with his mouth. And we've never seemed to figure that out. We, we're in a baby infant stages of that where God can create the worlds with his mouth. We can't create a tennis ball with ours because we're not focused on it. We don't think about it. We're not, we're, we're just, we just do everything else in the world except what we're supposed to usually. But God's a creator. He creates with his mouth. You're a creator because he's your daddy and you are what he is. And so they're waiting for you to create with your mouth. And he said, I create the fruit of the lips. I'm listening to my guy, I'm listening to my girl to see if they're going to say something out of their mouth, their lips, that I can create, that I can move on, that's in line with the Word of God. Now, if they don't, if they're just cussing and cursing and spitting and doing all this other stuff, I'm just kind of here filtering it all out. But if they say something in line with the Word, then I'm going to move. Now, Scripture says God's Word is forever settled in heaven. And so those angels know what you're talking, right? right? So the most important thing to heaven and to God is your words. They're listening all the time. I create the fruit of the lips. Are you going to say something today? I can create. So the devil, I don't know about y'all, I hate the devil. 
in everything, I said this to Bob and did last night at dinner, I said, uh, everything God does and everything God said in the Bible, hell works overtime to pervert that. Hell knows what to do because they know what God said, so they go try to make it not happen. Right? And so they're constantly trying to get you to not pray, not talk the Bible, not pay tithe, not praise, not worship, not read the Bible. No, they're trying to get you to not do what, what hell knows will work for you if you do it. So anything God says, they try to pervert it. You know, God, I mean, just look at the world. God said, God said he made male and female, created he them, and now we've got hundreds of genders. You know, when this thing first started about three years ago, uh, New York City literally passed a law that gave you 31 genders, 31 legal genders. Isn't that weird? Now, there's more than that. Not long after, I mean, they were just like, like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't very long until they kicked it up to over 100. So they had over 100 genders. Legal, I mean, Google it. Just say legal genders in New York City. I mean, they'll tell you. And I'm not making this stuff up. And so they have these legal genders, and you and I know there's only two. You know, God made them male and female, male and female created he them. But hell wants to pervert that. So, you know, and God wants us to be, you know, he wants us to be, marriage is one man and one woman, so here comes hell. Let's pervert that. Everything God does that, that's covenant. See, God's a covenant God, so he does things that are in covenant. And those things are more important to him and more important to hell than anything else. So anything that's covenant, like marriage, is a covenant, then hell's going to run in and try to see how in the world they can foul that up. So you can't prosper and can't advance. So heaven won't move for you. Heaven won't do anything for you. I'm just thumbing through. Oh, look here. I just thumbed through my pictures real quick just because y'all looked at me really funny when I said that. Here was the original, here was the original 31 flavors in New York City. They literally had that your head may be blue, your right arm may be blue, your left arm may be pink, and there were 31 of them. Now there's more than that. It didn't take long till they went well over 100, but this was the original chart in legal genders in New York City. And there's, you know, there's 31 of them. I have no idea how it works. I, have no, I don't even want to know how it works. And they have names for all of them. In fact, I'll read you some of the names. Here, Google this. Legal gender in New York City. Here's some of the names. It says, number one, bi-gendered. Bi Cross-dresser. Drag queen. Drag queen. Femme queen. Male to, female to male. FTM. I guess that's female to male. I don't know. Gender bender. Gender queer. Male to female. Uh, MTF. Non-op. I don't know what that is. H-I-J-R-A. I have no clue what the... That is pangender, transsexual, trans, transsexual with one S and transsexual with two S's. I guess that makes a difference. A trans person, a woman. I know that one, a woman. Yes. A man, I know that one. Uh, butch, two spirit. Somebody's a two spirit. A trans, a agender, a third sex, a gender fluid, a non binary transgender. An androgynon, I don't mean, I'm maybe not saying that right, androgynon. Gender gifted, 
Gender Blender. <laughs> Femme, person of transgender, person of transgender experience, and androgynous. Now, 31 made them legal, I mean legal, to the courts in New York City. And that was several years ago, and then it immediately went way over 100, and I don't know what the number is now. But I'm just saying that because God said I created male and female, then hell came in and said, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do this. So, you know, God made two genders, and the politicians have made all the others. So, a few years ago, we had a president, and I'm not trying to talk political. I do talk politics sometimes. I don't mind telling you when I am. This isn't political. This is strictly history. This happened. And we had a president, administration, and he said, don't pray. Have moments of silence. That was his thing. And then when it came Christmas time, he said, no, you can't have a Christmas tree. You have a holiday tree. You don't say Merry Christmas. You say Happy Holidays. And Target even bought into that nonsense and kicked the Santa Claus and the red kettle and the bell out. Here they are raising money for poor people for Christmas, and Target kicked them out because the president said, don't do that. I hadn't given Target any money since then. I'm mad at Target. Say, well, that's the way you feel about it. You don't need my money. Can you imagine? So he said, don't pray. Don't say Merry Christmas. Well, being a missionary for 54 years, I've been to all these communist countries. I had not been to every communist country in the world, but I've been to most of them. And I understand communism. Most Americans don't understand communism. I get it. I understand. I've been there so many times. I've talked to them. Didn't you understand it? I've talked. I've been in their offices. I've thrown a few of those leaders up, up against a wall over the years. I had to have my guys drag me off of them. And that wasn't nice. I get that. But still, just, I, just, I don't like communism and I don't like communists. And the first thing communists do every time, every time, every time is they, they, they attack Christmas and say, don't say Merry Christmas. And, uh, and they attack the church, and they attack the middle class. Take it from a missionary about communism. You cannot have a communist country if you have a strong church or a strong middle class. It just doesn't work. And so our own nation here two and a half, three years ago attacked the church for the first time in history. Our nation attacked the church and attacked the mom and pop stores, attacked the middle class. When, when, when COVID started, Renee and I were in Miami about to preach that conference over there for Jerry Moore, and we, I, I threw open the windows to look out at Miami Beach because she'd put us in a lovely hotel on the beach, and I looked out there, and there's nobody on the beach. And I said, Renee, come here. And she comes over there and said, look, I've, never, I've been here for decades, and I've never seen this beach empty. And I said, look at the water. There's nobody in the water. There's no boats. That knot-headed mayor of Miami had, had closed the boat ramps. I said, Renee, I said, how much more socially distanced can you get than getting in a boat and going out fishing miles from anybody? This makes no sense. They keep saying, follow the science, follow the science. There hasn't been a lick of science in this whole thing ever. It's just insanity. And they say, believe us, believe us, believe us, believe us. Well, no, I wouldn't believe you on a stack of Bibles. Reminds me of that old nursery rhyme, the emperor has no clothes, you know. You look at those guys and say, they don't have any clothes on. Shh, don't say that. Let's pretend they do. So anyway, this president we had said, do not pray. Just first thing Fidel Castro did. 
He took over Cuba in 1959, January the 1st, and the first thing he said is, there is no Christmas. Christmas doesn't exist. It's not a holiday. It's not a holy day. You work on December 25th just like you worked on the 24th and the 26th. It does not exist. There's no trees. There's no lights. There's no songs. It doesn't exist. And you all know the story. I brought Christmas back to Cuba in 2004 and 5, and now ever since then it's still going strong. And people ask me, but do you still take a Christmas here to Cuba? I said, no, I just did it two years. And then, and then we, 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 we moved the post. We, we reset the post and put it back where it belonged. And they've had Christmas ever since. And they've got Christmas trees and Christmas lights and Christmas carols and Christmas everything. And the Jerry Moore called me two or three years ago from Miami. And she said it was at Christmas time. And she said, Terry, channel. She told me the, she told me the ABC channel in, in Miami. I think it was 10, she said. Anyway, she said, ABC channel is running a, a special right now on Christmas return to Cuba. And she said, they don't know why. They can't figure out why. They figured the Pope must have done it. She said, we all know you did it, you know. And, and, but she said, it is a fact that Christmas is in Cuba again. I said, well, yeah, I know that. It hasn't been since, you know, since we did it. But anyway, um, when that started, Renee and I just said, well, we see the handwriting on the wall. We see where this is going because everything always goes somewhere. You know, no, no sign says, hi, I'm a sign. It always points to something. Those, uh, that exit sign back there, that exit sign back there, they're not just, they don't say, hi, I'm a sign. They say, hey, here's how you get out of here. If you're in trouble and need, need to get out, this is it. Exit. So every sign points to something. So you always stop and look, where is this pointing to? Where is this going? Every time you get a prophecy, every time you hear a sermon, stop and say, where does this go? I talked to a friend of mine that's preaching a really heavy grace message and, and, and telling people they couldn't repent and stuff like that. And, and I, said, I said, where is this going to go, son? I said, you're telling people they can't repent. You're forbidding people to repent. I said, so every sermon goes somewhere. I said, so if you're preaching don't repent here, then pretty soon you're going to be preaching, well, there's nothing to repent from. If I can't repent, there's nothing to repent from. And then you're going to have to say, well, if, if I can't repent, there's nothing to repent from, then there must not be a penalty for sin. So there's no hell. Well, if I believe there's no hell, then there's no devil. I mean, it always goes somewhere. And so you always have to say, where is this going? And that's what I asked him. And I said, pretty soon it'll be that there's no sin, there's no hell, there's no devil, and that's where it's gone. I'm just amazed at the people, dumb little old Christians, <laughs> that can sit in church and hear the truth and, hear, and then hear somebody get on TV and say the opposite and say, oh my God, and then they think that's truth when there's nothing to back that up. Yeah, they say, everybody loves that message. I can live like a pig and be blessed like a sheep. Man, I can just go do anything I want to and God doesn't care. I call it the Jesus doesn't care message. I used to do that. I want to, and Jesus doesn't care. No, he does care. You need to. And they all hate the Old Testament. I like the Old Testament. I'm always amazed at these guys that don't like the Old Testament. And I always ask them, I say, how come it is every time I hear you quote a promise of God, you always quote out of the Old Testament? How come you're always on Psalms 91? No plague comes nigh my dwelling. No evil befalls me. The angels have charge over me to lift me up and dash me, lest I dash my foot against How come you say, God gives me, out of Deuteronomy, God gives me the power to get wealth? How come you say, God blesses my bread and water and takes sickness out of my men? How come all the promises you take out of the Old Testament and then tell me you don't like the Old Testament? Anyway, so this president said, don't pray. Have a moment of silence. 
And I, and I told, I, I said then when he did that, I said, that's exactly what I'd do if I was the devil. Not that he's the devil. He's not the devil. He's certainly on the devil's team. And uh, I said, that's what I'd do if I was the devil. I, w- I would tell Christians, don't pray. That's ingenious. Tell Christians they can't pray. What a deal, man. If you're the devil, that's, that's, a, that's a slam dunk. So he said, have moments of silence. And he said, send your thoughts and prayers. Okay, Bob, here you go. I'm going to send you some. You got that? Yeah, sure. Have moments of silence would be, it just sounds so lovely. It just sounds so kumbaya. But it doesn't work for heaven because heaven says, I create the fruit of the lips. So your angels are waiting for you to say something that they can create. And you're in this moment of silence thing. We're not going to pray. What, what if there was an active shooter in the mall or a school, and we're all sitting in a football stadium, 100,000 of us, and what if the announcer says, folks, there's an active shooter down here at the school shooting people, or down at the mall shooting people. Let's all stand up right now, 100,000 of us, hold hands, and let's just, let's just have a moment of silence. What good would that do? Not a thing. Not a thing. And heaven would be going, say something. Isn't that right? But no, we're having a moment of silence. See, moments of silence, there's nothing wrong with a moment of silence. They're, they're meant for honor and respect. When I go to a cemetery or, or, or I'm at a war memorial, or I'm, I'm somebody like that, that, I'll have a moment of silence out of respect. It doesn't do any good for anybody. It's just honor. It's respect. If I'm in a funeral and they bring the casket by, then I'm going to stand there and do like this and have a, a moment of silence because there's nothing to say. Right? So I'm showing honor. You know, you go, you go in the Alamo in Texas. I don't know if any of y'all been to San Antonio or the Alamo. They don't even want you to wear a hat in there. You know, people didn't used to wear hats in church. Now people started wearing hats in church, but they don't want you to wear a hat in the Alamo because... The, those 183 guys died there. You know, March of March of six, 1836, and uh, it, it, it's a it's a it's a church. The Alamo is a church. It's a mission. It's also a, a cemetery. It's a it's the, those heroes died there to buy our freedom. And so when you go in there, you you don't talk loud. They tell you. Shh, you know, you don't act like a dumb American, like a like a like a rude American, like an ugly American. You don't go in there taking pictures everywhere and say, "Hey, look at this, Ma." No, no, it, you, it's respectful. It's a moment of silence, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with moments of silence when you're showing honor, or respect. But that's not going to accomplish anything. Nothing's going to happen from a moment of silence. You're just being honorable. But when the devil's showing up, you don't want to have a moment of silence. You want to say something. So what if the announcer said, hey, folks, there's a shooter down here at the school or the mall. Everybody stand up and hold hands, and we're going to take authority in the name of Jesus. And by the blood of the covenant and the covenant of blood, we're going we're to stop this and arrest this thing and stop it now in Jesus' name. And 100,000 of us all, get, I mean, start hitting it. Something's going to happen. Heaven's, heaven's going to move. But we're so deceived and manipulated by this 
feel-good, kumbaya stuff. It's just nuts. It's like all these politicians now saying to us, now we need to, we need to honor Mother Nature. And we need to save the planet. You can't save the planet. Some fools think that man can destroy the planet. Other fools think man can save it. And man can neither destroy it nor save it. It's not yours. It's God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. The cattle's mine, saith the Lord, on a thousand hills. The gold is mine and the silver, saith the Lord. It's God's. And he's going to destroy it, by the way. One of these days, he's going to destroy it. And it's not going to be fun when he does. But we can't destroy it. And we don't have a mother nature. We have a father God. But hell said, okay, they got a father God. Let's create a mother nature. And let's make it a religion where all these little idiot politicians say, oh, we must save the planet. You can't save the planet. It's a religion to them. Oh, let's save the planet. While you're flying your private jet around, you're telling us to save the planet? I saw a picture of one of the Kardashian girls just this week. They showed it on TV. And she's standing out at the airport between two humongous jets. I don't mean little, I don't, I'm not talking about little Citation 10, you know, like Brother Copeland has, or, 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 you know, some of these little private jets. I mean, these things were huge. I was trying to count the windows to see. I couldn't even, I couldn't even count all the windows. They big. And she's standing out there, you know, and, she, and, and she's texting to, her, to one of her sisters and says, which jet you want to use, yours, yours or mine? And then they're talking, don't leave a carbon footprint. Save the planet. It's, uh, all these politicians in Hollywood people are always rules for you and not for me. Isn't that nuts? They were showing you on TV the other day all these movie stars and politicians that had flown like, like, like 10 and 12 and 15 miles away when they could have gone in a car. And yet they got in their private jet and flew three minutes or five minutes or seven minutes, spending thousands upon thousands of gallons of gas. And I don't care. I'm, I know they can't kill the planet. They just keep buying it from Arabs and making them rich instead of just coming to Texas and getting it cheap. <laughs> I'm just amazed how stupid they all are. But anyway, that's not my sermon. My, <laughs> my, my point is you can't save the planet you can't destroy the planet, and you don't have a mother nature. But that's what hell keeps taking anything God says in the Bible and says, how can we? They're into Father God. Let's see. Let's make a mother nature. They're into the creator. Let's, let's get them into the creation. Let, let's pervert anything that it works for them. Anything God said that those Christians are going to do, let's come up with something that sounds like it, but perverts it. Then the angels can't move. Then heaven can't move. Their hands are tied. And then they'll get mad at you for it. Then they shame you for it. Shame on you. You go to church, you're going to kill somebody. You know, when COVID started, I kept saying, I... Do they just think we're stupid? And in the last six months or eight months, I've, saw, I've said, I think we're stupid. <laughs> now, I'm not making fun of COVID. It's a real disease. I've buried friends. I've buried people that died of it. I mean, it's real. But the numbers aren't real. The hype's not real. 
you know, and, and, and for the first time in history, we've quarantined healthy people. When I was a kid, we had quarantines for polio and tuberculosis and stuff, but you did that with the sick people and everybody else went about their business. Now we've quarantined the healthy people. And Renee and I saw in that hotel room, we said, I see where this is going. And so we said, let's, let's double from what I'm giving. Let's give more. Let's give more to orphanages. Let's, let's give more to, let's support the mom and pop businesses because they're going to try to kill them. And let's, let's give anybody that makes their living by tips, let's double and triple and quadruple up on tips. We made that decision right there in that hotel room. And, uh, you know, I said, I said, didn't you try to tell me about an orphanage there in Mexico? She said, yeah, you know, we met this guy, and he's in this town in Mexico. And I said, well, send him some money. So she wrote him a check right there for $2,000 and sent it out of, of JMICF. And they, they called us back and said, that was our whole budget. Our partners had quit us because of COVID, and you, thank you, thank you. Thank. But, you know, we just started looking, started being sensitive. And being in Miami, and it was in March, I guess, February. And, uh, and so, you know, that time of year is stone crab season. And so anytime we're in Miami, it's stone crab season, we have to go eat some stone crab. And there's one particular place we like to eat real well right there on the intercoastal, and it's called Billy's Stone Crab. He used to work down at Joe's, but now he's, at, he's got his own place. So we like to run in there once in a while when we're there, you know, one time per trip maybe. Because it's expensive, and uh, and eat stone crab. So we were looking forward to it, driving on the trip, driving down. We thought, hey, we'll go to Billy's and get some stone crab. Well, here's it hits. So I pick up the phone, call him. I said, hey, are y'all are y'all open for business? And he said, no, sir. Said I said our delicatessen downstairs is open, but the dining room is closed. We can't serve anybody. And I said, okay. I said, well, your deli is really really good. I think I'll come get some stuff and bring it back to our hotel. He said, that'd be great. We'd love for you to. So. So we go down there and, and, and walk in, and there's the deli, and there's all the food in the, in the case, and it's great. It's wonderful to take it home with you. And, uh, but I looked at everybody, and they were just, and they was at a funeral. They lost their best friend, you know. And so I said to the guy, I said, I, said, I guess this is really hitting you guys hard, isn't it? He said, oh, man, you don't know the half of it. He said, this is our season. He said, it's now that we make our money for the year. So we make money now and put it away and live on it all year long. He said, he said, we're, we're hurting. This is bad. So I just reached in my pocket, and I took out, I think, four or five $100 bills and gave it to him. And I said, give this to the wait staff that works for tips. Separate, divide this. He said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, no, I'm serious. God bless the people that work for tips because they get lousy money anyway, and then they're not going to get any tips, so this isn't good. And he said, sir, would you like to eat in the restaurant? <laughs> And I said, well, I thought I couldn't. He said, I'll personally serve you best seat in the house. Where do you want to be? And I said, well, I'll be by the water. And, I mean, he put set Renee and I out there and served us personally. And we just had a great time. They were the only ones there and had a great time. But, you know, we, we, were, we were conscious of the people that were hurting, you know. And so we need, you know. Well, no, of course it's it's a it's a free it's a free flow, you know. I mean, it's just a constant flow. My pockets grew money. I think so too. I like my pockets growing money, and I'm quick to share. When Renee married me, we've been married just what almost eight years now. I don't know. If y'all, some of y'all don't know us. We've referred to our other spouses and stuff, and y'all may think that's really weird, but. 
but I was married to Jackie for 44 years. She was married to Dean Garner for 44 years, and they pastored a great church in Corpus Christi, Texas, and Jackie and I were missionaries, and so we met 48 years ago this year <laughs> at, at Lakewood Church. And she was the organist, and Dean was Brother Osteen's associate, and Jackie and I were missionaries in Mexico, and so we met and just started talking the word, 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 and they had two little boys, and we had two little boys, and we just became fast friends. And then we were best friends for 40 years, and we went on vacations together and trips together and mission trips together. They supported us as a pastor. They supported us partnering with us as missionaries, and, and then they'd bring me in two or three times a year, and I'd preach to their church and whatever. And, and we were just always good friends. Our kids grew up together, ran each other's weddings and stuff, and, and so we just always had great friendship. And then Dean passed away, just died. And then like 15 months later, 13 months later, Jackie died. And so they left us lemons. So we just got married and made lemonade. So we've been married almost eight, eight years. But we've been friends for 48 years. You know, and at that time, we were friends for 40 years. We had known each other for 40 years. Dean was my best friend, my hunting buddy, my fishing buddy. You know, I mean, it's just, we just, <laughs> the, first, the first and only date we went out on, I said, I said, this is really weird, isn't it? And she, yeah. I said, you know, we've had thousands of meals together. This is the first time ever alone. <laughs> we've, went, we've had thousands of meals together all over the world. But now we're having a meal alone. That's weird. But, uh, but heaven's watching. They want to create the fruit of your lips. And hell is trying to get you as hard as they can to not say anything. Don't say anything. Because if you don't say anything, it'll freeze heaven incapacitate them, and nothing will happen. Amen? So we need to understand that. And I'll just give you one last, one last story you're all familiar with. It. Matthew chapter 14, it says, you know, Matthew chapter 14, what's happened here is John the Baptist has been executed. They cut his head off. That perverted woman had his head cut off. And so John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. They're probably the only two people on the planet that understood each other. They could talk up here on a level that nobody else got. The disciples certainly didn't get Jesus, and you know. But John, you know, John, John. Whenever Elizabeth, his mama, was carrying him, and Mary came in and said to her cousin Elizabeth, "Hey, I'm pregnant." Then John, the Bible says, jumped inside Elizabeth's belly. He knew, "Hey, it's cousin Jesus." <laughs> and so they were preaching buddies and friends all those years. And then, of course, John baptized Jesus in the River Jordan, and the Holy Ghost came. Anyway, they're they're close. Probably the closest two people on the planet. You know, sometimes when you're, when you're spiritual, you just can't talk to everybody. They don't get you. But when you find somebody that's, that's on your level, then you can have some conversations. And so here John has been murdered, assassinated, and Jesus is hurting. Now, sometimes people think, oh, if you lose somebody, if somebody dies, you shouldn't be hurting. You should be all excited about heaven. Well, Jesus knew more about heaven than anybody, and he's still hurting. Jesus knew he's going to see John again, just like he knew he's going to see Lazarus again. They all say, oh, look at him weeping. He's so upset because Lazarus is dead. Jesus wasn't weeping about Lazarus being dead. He's about to raise him up. What he was weeping about is the unbelief of the people because they were saying, Jesus, if he was here, he wouldn't have died. And he went, ah. The Bible said he groaned, ah. And he told his disciples, he said, come on, we're going to go over to Jerusalem and, and, and go check Lazarus out. And one of the disciples says, okay, guys, let's all go with him, and we'll, we'll all die with him. And he said, That's what the Bible says. Then Mary comes out and chews him out. Then Martha comes out and chews him out. 
So he starts crying. He's not crying because Lazarus is dead. That's the least of his problems. He's about to raise him up. Right? He's crying about these knotheads. So anyway. Does that make sense to you? So Jesus is hurting over John. And so he goes away to be by himself. But here come the people. So he has to minister to them. In a little bit, he said to the guys, to his staff, he said, hey, guys, he said, uh, I'll stay here and, and, and deal with the people and send them away. And then I'm going to go pray a little bit. But y'all go ahead and get in the boat and head over to the other side, and I'll catch up with you. I don't know how they thought he was going to catch up with them, but I guess they didn't think about it. So they get in the boat and leave. And then he goes ahead and ministers to the people and then sends, sends them away, probably prayed for miracles, who knows, and sends them away. Then he goes up in the mountain to pray by himself. And I've always said, if Jesus needed to pray, we probably do too. And so uh, after he got through praying, it's about 4 o'clock in the morning now, or 3 o'clock in the morning, it's the 4th of watch. And so when he gets through praying, he, he just gets up and says, he's probably refreshed because that's, you know, he's probably praying in the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that's the refreshing. That's how you always, anytime you're tired, you can pray in the Holy Ghost, and it'll freshen you up. I've done that driving all my life. Oh, God, I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost so I can wake up here, you know. And uh, so he got up and he said, well, I guess I'll go, go, go get in the boat with the boys. He turns around and looks, and he sees them. They can't see them physically because it's 3 o'clock in the morning. They're way out in the, on the water. And the Bible says the wind's blowing. It says contrary. The wind's contrary. And so they're having a hard time out there with the wind. And they know that water. They're, they're professionals. They've been on that water all their life. And so Jesus just decides to walk over and walk in the water, walk on the water, and get in a boat with them. In fact, one, one, one gospel tells it that he was just going to pass them by. I guess he's, you know, so we didn't know if he's going get, to get in the water in the boat with them or just pass by them and beat them over there. But anyway, he was walking. Now, the angels are watching all this. They've been watching it all day. And they're talking, hey, you look at that man. I won't leave Jesus alone here. Cousin John just got his head cut off. Of course, he's up here with us. He's over there visiting with, you know, with some folks, but. But Jesus is sad, and he's, he's dealing with it, and he's, he's preaching to the people. And, 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 uh, and, and you know, that's, I wish they'd leave him alone. And then all of a sudden Jesus sends a voice away, and they said, Jesus said he's going to catch up. What wonder how he's going to catch up with them. Oh, I don't know. He'll figure it out. And they just keep watching and keep watching and keep watching. And finally, Jesus sends them away. He goes and prays. Now he gets up, and he turns around and says, where's the guy? Okay. And he walks over to the edge, just steps on the water and starts walking. Those angels must have got excited over that and had a little rustle of angel wings. Hey, look at the boss. He's walking on water. He hadn't done that before. That's cool. And he's just walking out there. The boys are over here in the boat like this, and Jesus is walking to them. And uh, when he gets close to them, where enough that they can see, they immediately got scared. And they thought he was a ghost. And so somebody says, ah! Look at the ghost. And Jesus said, Hey guys, fear not. It's the first thing he always, always, always said. Don't fear. Every angel that ever showed up, Old Testament and New Testament, first thing they said, Fear not. Don't fear. Don't get in fear. Everybody say this fear and faith can't live in the same house. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. You need to get that down in your spirit. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. And so he says, cheer up, it's me, don't be afraid. And uh, so the angel said, hey, look at the guy. I guess he's just going to get in a boat with them now. And uh, heaven still has nothing to do. Nothing, they had anything to do all day. 
And then Peter jumps up and says, Well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. But those angels turn and say, Hey, look at this. Do you know what Peter said? What's the boss going to do? I mean, Peter said if it's you, and it certainly is him, to bid him come, the boss isn't going to have any choice but to tell him to come. Hey, y'all pay attention. We may have to do something here. If Peter actually acts, if, if Jesus tells him to come, if he speaks the word, and if Peter actually acts on that word, he hasn't been doing that much, but if he does, <laughs> we're going to have to do something. And Peter, Jesus stands there and says, what? If it's me, bid him come. I just told him it's me. I just said it's me. But he said, if it's you, bid me come. He said, I guess I don't have any choice but to tell him to come. I've had people ask me, Ned, over the decades, say, Brother why did Jesus make Peter do that? He know he didn't have... I said, Peter, Jesus didn't have anything to do with it. That's Peter's deal. Peter, Peter forced that issue. Jesus wasn't going to do that. He's just going to get in a boat with him. And Peter said, well, if it's you, bid me come. So, so Jesus said, well, if it's me. Come! Those angels probably been saying, now, how do you guys want to handle this? If Peter moves, y'all want, y'all want to make him light or the water hard? What do you want to do? We got to, we got to do a miracle. If Peter, if Peter moves, we got to do something. So they're ready. All right, pay attention, guys. Pay attention. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to do something? And so Peter just stood right up and just stepped his foot out of the boat. When he did, heaven moved. First time they'd had to do anything. That whole time. Heaven moved. Now, heaven didn't move for those other guys. Heaven did nothing for those other guys in the boat, nothing. But they had to do something for Peter. And so Peter goes walking out there on the water in faith, defying gravity, a miracle, a sign, a wonder. And then the devil, remember the devil? The devil's job is to distract you, to get your focus off Jesus. So he's sitting up here on his shoulder, as he does everybody, and Peter's walking, he's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is sitting there waiting on him, thinking that's cool. And the devil's sitting here on the shoulder, and the devil says, Psst, Peter, Peter, the wind's blowing. And so it says, Peter looked around and saw the wind was boisterous. Oh, my God, the wind's blowing, I can't walk. And began to sink. Didn't sink, he began to sink. And when he began to sink, he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus went and got him. Now, what difference did it make whether the wind's blowing or not? You can't walk on the water on a calm day. You go out here on a calm day and try to walk on the water, you can't do it. The devil just had to get his attention off Jesus, just break his focus. Peter, the wind's blowing. Oh, my God, the wind's blowing. Can't walk on water. And so Jesus, when Jesus saved him, he also rebuked him. I mean, he dressed him down. And he said, Peter, wherefore did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. What's wrong with you? Isn't that right? See, the church doesn't like that. They like, they like to think Jesus is just always sweet and kind and never said anything. No, no, he dressed him down lots and lots and lots of times. Why did you doubt, Peter? And then he took him and walked back up to the boat together. They both got in the boat. Disciples that were in the boat got all excited and worshiped him, and they got to the other side. The next morning, next day, don't you know, sitting around the lunch fire, don't you know they were talking about this? You're probably saying, Man, that's the greatest thing I ever saw last night. Me too, man. I got goosebumps on my goosebumps. 
I tell you what, when Peter was sitting right next to me, and he, too, he Matthew might said he stood up. When he stood up, I tell you, I did just watching him step his foot out there on that water. I tell you, you know, Thomas probably said, I still don't believe it. <laughs> Judas probably said, I could have made some money on that if they had told me in advance, you know. <laughs> but, but, but how do you think Peter felt? He walked. He had a miracle. None of those other guys had a miracle. Make this last statement to you. I, I, when I was a boy, I had a preacher, an old gentleman, come to our church and preach, and he preached on, on, on Peter walking on the water. And he titled it, uh, are, you a, are, you a, are You a Dry Boat Rider or a Wet Water Walker? And after service, I came up to him, shook his hand. I was a young guy, and I came up to him, shook his hand. I said, sir, that was a great message. I really enjoyed that. Thank you for it. And he said, Terry, are you a wet water walker or a dry boat rider? And I looked at him. I said, I'm neither one, sir. He said, what? I said, I'm neither one. I said, I'm, I'm a dry water walker. Amen. I'm not going to sink. Y'all stand up with me. What time is it? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Sunday night Christians. I tell you, all these meetings I've been doing lately, it's amazing how the people just, nobody moved. Nobody zipped anything. Nobody talked. Nobody cared. Nobody left. It's okay if people leave. I don't have a problem with that. But they didn't. It was just like, wow. These people are really, really locked in. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for ministering to us by your spirit. Father, this was simple. It wasn't three points in a poem, great sermon. It was just, this is how faith works. This is how faith works. Heaven is waiting and watching to see what we're going to say, to listen, to hear what we're going to say, to see what we're going to do, so they know what to do. And, Father, I thank you that we're aware of that and that we'll always be talking the word, always be acting on the word, and heaven will move on our behalf. Father, all these years with all these testimonies you've given to me, from the hitchhiker shooting at me and the bullets not hitting me to the little girl I held up dead, the doctor said she's dead, American medical doctor says she's dead, and I held her up for 12 hours and you raised her from the dead. All those things, heaven was watching. What's Terry going to say? What's Terry going to do about this? That guy's got a gun in his ribs. What's he going to do? That doctor just told Terry to put the baby down. She's dead and we'll bury her in the morning. What's Terry going to do? And they're watching all the time. And they're listening. And I thank you for it, Father. And I thank you as we leave this place, Lord, from the rest of our lives, that, that, that heaven, we're going to give them something to do, something to hear. Because we're going to speak the word and we're going to declare the word. When the devil sticks his head up, we're going to declare what the word says. And that will loose our angels to get them busy to do the word of God and the will of God. And rescue us and do miracles. And I thank you for it and give you the glory and the honor and the praise and the majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Well, did you get anything out of all that tonight? Praise the Lord. Are you doing online? Those of you watching online, whether you're in a hospital room or a hotel room or a, your own bedroom, living room, just take this word and let it work for you. Pastor, come on. Now, tomorrow night, it's what, 7 o'clock? Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock is our last service, and so we invite you to come back and invite you online to tune in. And uh, let's just expect God to do some real wonders and signs and miracles and healings. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Good to be seated. Thank you, Jesus. You know, 
Wasn't that wonderful? You know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he, when he was writing to Rome, he said, when I come to you, I'll come with the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And that was really full tonight. You know, that was like a smorgasbord of, of things, you know, whether it was faith, whether it was about tithing and giving, the fruit of our lips, putting the going into the enemy's camp and taking back what belongs to us. You know, I mean, there was so much in there. But, you know, if you put it all together, you can say one thing about it. God's calling you to a higher level of living. God wants you to move up from where you're at. He wants you to raise up your life because that's what the fullness is all about. The extravagance, the abundance, coming up to a higher level of living. And that's, this is really what God wants for each and every one of us, you know. And it um, doesn't matter what area of our life it is. He wants us to move up higher. Jesus gave his life so that we don't have to stay where we're at, but that we can move up to a higher level and a higher place of life. And it doesn't matter if it's spiritually, soulishly, naturally, or financially. You know, it's about moving up, never staying where we're at, and pressing on in and going forward. Can you say amen? Amen. You know, to move up spiritually, we've got to sow more fellowship and time in the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit. We've got to soulishly sow that time of meditating, giving ourselves to thinking on the Word of God, prayer, renewing our mind to the Word of God, sowing financially to move up to a higher level in giving and in receiving. Amen. You know, that is so true, what, what Brother Terry said, that when he first started giving, he didn't realize that you could receive back. You know, but when he learned that, it changed the whole game. It changed the outcome of everything. What did he say? The Lord said in Genesis to Abraham, as long as the, well, not to Abraham, but in Genesis, he said, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. He said that to Noah. And to Abraham, he said, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for him? It's not hard for him. It's hard for us to think it and to understand it and to believe it can happen. You know, and that's where we have to come up higher in our place of thinking. Think of where you're at right now and think of where you've come from. But now think of where you can go. It doesn't have to stop where you're at right now. Amen. And you got to set your faith. You got to put it in your mouth. You got to start declaring the things of the word of God and give heaven something to move into your life. Amen. It's your future and you can design it. You can choose to design your future based on the word of God. Amen. Amen. So as we're going to sow our seed tonight into the uh, ministry of Dr. Terry Mize, I want you to think about this for a moment. God's promise of sowing is also has a promise of reaping. God's word of planting always have a promise of harvest. But just because there's a harvest and just because there's a reaping doesn't mean the devil can't steal it from you. But the tithe will protect you. The tithe, God said, I will keep covenant with the tither and the devourer will be rebuked. 
that your harvest, the devourer cannot steal your harvest. He cannot steal your reaping. It belongs to you, and it will not be stolen because the devourer is rebuked because of the covenant that God keeps with you. That word devourer is only used in the book of Malachi. No place else. And God says, when it comes to that devourer, I will rebuke him. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will rebuke the devourer, and you will be blessed in the work of your hand. If you want to protect the seed that you sow, be a tither, and the devourer will be rebuked. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you. Oh, we thank you so much for the word that you've brought to us tonight. Thank you, Father, that it's created a stirring on the inside of us. It's helped us to look and to see that we can come up to a higher level and a higher place in our living, that we can move up spiritually, we can move up soulishly, we can move up naturally, we can move up financially in every area and in everything. And, Father, we come this evening with the seed that you have put into our hands so that we can sow it. We sow it by faith. We believe for the harvest to come back again because as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. And that which I harvest, I will again sow seed, and the process will continue on, and I will continually cast my bread upon the water, and it shall come back to me on every wave. That I I will be amply supplied unto every good deed. Father, we thank you for it. We bless you. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. If you need an envelope for a cash offering or credit card giving, if you raise your hand, the usher will serve you if there's not one on the seat back. If you joined us on live stream or podcast, thanks for being with us tonight. I know that you were blessed by that which you have heard. And if you'd like to sow seed into Dr. Terry Mize's ministry, you go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net. Click on the giving link, and in the description box, just put in there Terry Mize. You can also go to terrymize.com, and you can give and donate on his website and make it a recurring monthly giving and bless the ministry and you'll be blessed for your giving and think of all those that will be touched around the world because of partnering with a worldwide ministry amen 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 glory to god